0: Connecting to the big show.
1: In three, two, one.
0: I just think it's an enticement. It's
2: not rocket science. It can be done. I truly believe it can.
0: It's wanton destruction. It's also illegal. <laughs> We're the one for cork and ready to talk. Can we
1: just talk? Call
0: 1850-715-996. Text or WhatsApp 83 396
1: Email opinion at 96fm.ie.
0: The lines are live.
1: Let's kickstart the conversation.
0: This is The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan.
1: On Cork's 96fm.
3: I must tell you, going through the newspapers this morning, there is a bunch of good science has landed on our desks in the last 24 hours about this Delta variant and the vaccines. And we if we wait on patiently till we all have our two doses, this damn thing can't lay a hand on us. It, it, the, the, the new research from the UK, Public Health England, really good yesterday. I'll tell you about that later on this morning. There's also a warning from Luke O'Neill and others That if you've only had one jab, you really do need to still be careful. And In one of the newspapers, they're saying nobody who's just had one dose should attempt to travel abroad this summer. And later this morning, I'll be talking to a Cork woman whose mom, unfortunately, passed away. She'd had one jab um, and she picked up COVID and she died. A tragic story. It's on the Echo this morning. I'll be talking to that woman. Uh, later on. But I will also bring you that really good science and really good research coming from the UK yesterday at the same time when Boris was announcing that they were holding everything back for a few weeks.
0: We've obviously faced a very difficult choice. We can simply keep going even though there is a real possibility that the virus will outrun the vaccines and that thousands more deaths would ensue that could otherwise have been avoided. Or else we can give the NHS a few more crucial weeks to get those remaining jabs into the arms of those who need them. And I think it is sensible to wait just a
3: little longer. When you hear the new science, I'll read it for you later on, you'll realise he's 100% right. And it's very often. How often are we ever sitting on this programme going, Boris Johnson is 100% right? Well, he is today. Anyway, I'll come back to it. 1850-715-996. Yesterday morning, we were speaking about the beaches and how jammers they became at the weekend. Hard to blame people when it was as warm here on Sunday as it was on the Algarve. Okay, the water wasn't as warm, but it was as nice here on Sunday. It was scorchio and people headed for the beach. Of course they did but it caused chaos on the beaches with traffic and blockages and all of that. We were contacted yesterday by, by Joan. Joan, I think you live in Fountainstown, is that right? Good morning. Hello? Hi, Joan. You live in Fountainstown, is that yeah, right?
4: Yes, that's right. I live mm-hmm. in a place called Corp. Newham.
3: Okay. And you were doing a bit of shopping on Saturday in Carrigline
4: That's right, just there. What mm-hmm. happened? Um, we were waiting for the bus, the 20 plus 1 bus from Carrigline to Fountainstown. Mm. and it passed, it, it didn't stop for us. And right. we have to wait for another hour then for the next one, but sure, there's no point of waiting because they wouldn't stop. Yeah. You know, I mean, I don't blame people coming down for the thing, but I think mean, they should leave some, some spaces for the locals, you know. Was it was, a,
3: was all people headed for the beach and the bus, do you think?
4: Oh, yeah, I'd say so, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. but it's, it's happening there now. It was about two years ago there, um... I was coming back from work one night at um I was getting the twenty past eight bus. It was a Halloween, do you remember that? Yes, yes, yes. And the the uh, buses were taken out. they threatened the Oh that's right. Driver. That's that's
3: a couple of years ago, yeah. So yeah, yeah. so and so you then, you were on the side of the road Saturday with your bits of shopping and yeah, hoping yeah. Uh, And there
4: was more than me, like I mean there was a lot more elderly people than me there, you know, that used that bus. Yeah. You know, they come up in the twenty past nine and go back in the twenty past one.
3: Yes, yes. Yeah.
4: You and know, but it's it's just we can't get on the bus. I know.
3: And when you're rushing to get stuff home to the fridge,
4: yeah, yeah. But yeah. you know, like I mean, I live here now, and I go up every. It's about a three minute walk up to the top of the cross for the bus, but I'm only wasting my time because if they're coming down that way, they will not stop. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
3: And yeah. like at the moment, the buses are still only fifty percent, which makes it harder again.
4: Well, we have a bus every hour. Yeah. On the hour, and there is a bus then to cross Crosshead and to um, every 20 minutes. Right. But, like, that's no good to me. That's a three-mile walk then from Cross Crosshaven to my place.
3: Right. Oh, so you the know? 220...
4: The it goes, go, goes to Crosshaven. And on no up,
3: up to Camden, up to the 4th, yep, yeah, and on that yeah. one. But is it every every third one or just one an hour that turns up at the cross there and heads for Fountainstone?
4: Yeah, there's only one every hour. Right, OK. Yeah, one every hour. And, of course, you know, at, at
3: this time of the year it's packed with people headed for the beach.
4: Yeah, and, you know, we, I use that bus. Like, I mean, in the winter now, I get the, the 20 past 11 up to work and I get the 20 past 8 home. But, like, I mean, we're only wasting our time now. Now, I do cycle a lot, you know, myself. Yeah, but you, yeah. You know, but I mean, it's not fair. You um, can't exactly
3: yeah. cycle with bags of shopping, can you?
4: No, no, no. Like I'm called the Lone Rider around here, so like
3: (laughs) And (laughs) and and how many others would you reckon John were just left there on the side of the road?
4: My son was there. There was a few people that I knew from Fountainstone and Murderville, they were all left there. I mean, they just don't stop for us, like. I mean it's not I mean, I don't blame people coming out for the day, you know, down to the beaches and things like that. I'm Mm. not saying anything like that, but I mean like they should consider us as well. Yeah, yeah. And
3: and did another bus come along or had you to wait for the hour?
4: No, I my daughter picked me
3: up then. Oh, that was handy. Because yeah. you'd, you'd wonder, and it makes sense, you'd wonder if Bus Erin would put on an extra bus.
4: Yeah, Well, usually they do. Like, but I mean, like it's, you know, with this weather now and it's bus for the COVID and all that. Like, But I mean, mm. it's just, they're just not picking up the locals. Like, the buses are full Yeah, coming into Carrigaline, you know. And mm. I mean, we're only wasting our time standing there waiting for the bus. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. You know, it's not, it's not there really, you yeah. know. Yeah.
3: Well, a few more weeks, hopefully the buses will be up to their normal full capacity again. That would help at least, I suppose.
4: Yeah, but the only thing is that the, um, I mean, we haven't bad bus service now, like really coming to Crosshaven. Well, Fountain Sound is every hour. Crosshaven is every 20 minutes. Yes, yes. But like, I mean, I'd have to wait then until the 20 past two, but that's not going to stop either. It's possible, people coming down. yeah. You know, I mean, like there is a lot of elderly people living around here where I live. You know, and I mean, like they they can't get a bus. Yeah. You know, I mean, have, have
3: any of you contacted bus Aaron?
4: I know there was one lady in, cross, in Fountainstone, uh, Tony Bulger. She's usually bringing them up, like, but there's not really nothing about it, really.
3: You Camille, know? was 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 the shopping all right? She said you had stuff for the oh, fridge.
4: Yeah. yeah, yeah, everything was fine, like, but it's just so annoying, you know, mm-hmm. that. Even like I was so and I know I did ring in before um with that Halloween time. Now they sent out a bus to collect those um, people from Ballon College. Yeah,
3: yeah, yeah. Like, well this was the night the night yeah, long ago when the, yeah. the driver was. And I had yeah. to get
4: a cab. Yeah. I had to pay for a cab home. Yeah. You know, and I mean that was um that was the winter time, the Halloween whatever. And mm-hmm. like I had to Get a cab home. I didn't. They didn't send out a special bus for me.
3: No. And tell me, Joan, is this a frequent thing? Like not just last weekend. I mean, would this be across the summer? Like if we had a good oh, summer and God between yeah. us, not harm. We hope we do. If we yeah. had a nice summer, which would would it be very hard for the locals to get their bus all the oh, time? Oh yeah,
4: yeah, yeah. Especially the Falkenstein bus anyway. All right. Okay. Because like there is no buses now. Uh, like long ago, when I was a child, I mean, I was born and reared around here. There is no buses um, coming from Krasavin. Two fountains don't know anymore. Yeah, they well. all go back. The fountains don't go back the back road, and like only on the, on a Sunday they they don't come up the back road. They go down to Cladelf and then up. Mm-hmm. But like that, would be Sunday service. Uh-huh, uh-huh, but uh-huh. like I depend on those buses. You know, now it's grand now because I'm on my bike going into work yeah. and coming home. But like you know, it's 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 they're just not thinking of the local people. Like when they they should leave a few seats. Yeah. Like it could be five or six, you know. A lot of the elderly will go up and they'll do their shopping either um, a Friday or, but like, it's just like this now for the next couple of days. The buses are going to be full anyway, whether it is a weekend or not. All right. All right, I mean, John. young ones, yeah, you know? Yeah. Okay. You know?
3: Right. Okay. Good to talk to you, John. Thanks very much. Living in one of my favourite places in all of Ireland, uh, lovely Fountainstone. Uh, but at the moment, you can see people getting the bus down to the beach. Would you blame them? Goes down every hour. I believe spend the day down there and grab an ice cream from Angela's and have a swim off the, off the slipway there and enjoy the, the sunshine. Such as you might. But poor old Joan is above in our line with her bags of shopping and uh, frozen meat is melting inside in the bag and she can't get a bus because... The bus is full of people heading for the BG. You can see, you can see how it would how it would peer off a small bit. Wouldn't you? 1857-15996. Can
0: we just talk? the opinion line on Cork's 96FM? With
1: dairy-made premium spread, 100 percent natural, and made in cork using West Cork Cream. Let me show you
0: what it's all about. Simon Murdoch and the best music mix.
1: Weekdays from midday on Cork's 96FM. Your afternoon soundtrack in Cork. I've got you covered. It's Dua Lipa.
3: Hi, this is Tiesto. You're listening to The Weekend. I'm Miley
1: Cyrus. Always bringing you those latest online trends, anything that's happening in Cork. Amazing giveaways. Thanks a million. Thank you. Uh, Absolutely brilliant, guys. Thanks so much. And loads more to help you through the afternoon. Oh, six
5: <laughs> I'm, I'm actually in shock. My hair's going 90 years. Yay! show you what
0: it's all about Send it out. Simon Murdoch midday to 4 pm on Corks
3: 96 Fm Christine Rother was on uh, she had a bit of an incident at the weekend can I please say a huge thanks to the guys who helped me when my car broke down it just stopped working outside Vibes and scribes on Latt's key. I was in the queue for Paul Street car park. One guy with help from two others suggested pushing the car off the road onto a footpath. The traffic was really busy. Then two lovely young lads arrived and separately tried to jumpstart my car. One had a northern accent and had abandoned his missus, his work to help. I was totally bowled over by the kindness and friendliness. Big thank you, lads. And to the idiot who was honking behind me, think again when you see hazards on and the driver on the phone. That was me trying to get a tow truck. Proud to be Irish. Thanks, Christine, for that. Yeah, anyone who gets out of their car and stops to help another motorist in distress, there'll be a comfortable bed in heaven for you someday. Because it's awful to be caught with a car that won't start. I have been there. Eighteen fifty-seven one five nine nine six. Sive got in touch with the opinion line. You are up there in Ballinhassig, up behind the airport, Saib. Yeah. Good morning.
6: Hi, morning PJ, thanks for having me on Yeah, up in Ballonhasig, right behind the airport, that's right
3: Now, I've known that this goes on up there for a number of years Yeah, Illegal dumping
6: Yeah, yeah I mean, look, to be honest, it is an ongoing thing out here And, you know, if we'd have the works out here, to be honest Like people driving past, throwing takeaway cartons out the window Coffee cups out the window Abandoned dogs after Christmas I mean, you'd see loads of stuff out here but, I mean, like the other week now, I was driving home and there was an entire two-seater couch on the side of the road just thrown out of a car or a van, rolled out, left there, you know, on a main driving road, and it's just... Like, up. to be honest, like the other stuff, it's such an ongoing problem, you almost stop seeing it after a while, but <laughs> it's hard not to know it a whole couch. No,
3: there's a particular favourite dumping ground. It's one of the gates... You know, the back of the airport complex there, there are yeah. gateways. There's a particular favourite dumping ground in one of those gateways. Was it around there or else was it?
6: No, we're a little further back from the airport. So my um, my townland name is Ballancranig in Ballanassig. Okay. So it's quite a big parish. So then within that you would have small little townlands. So we would be more on the uh, Spur Hill side. Like, if you come up Spur Hill, we're out around that area. Ah, yeah, yeah. Have
3: yeah. You, I have you yeah. now. I have you know? No, I did, 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 did. For goodness sake, I have pictures in front of me here. I mean, I'm sorry for laughing now because I hadn't, I hadn't looked at this until Terry just put them up on my screen here. Yeah. Like, they haven't even found the decency to find a clearing.
6: No. This is literally side of the road literally, like it's not there just seems to be this attitude of the people who dump stuff out here that oh, it's in the country, there's no one out here, it doesn't count like, there's hundreds of people out here I mean, if the person went up that route that I mentioned, went up Spur Hill they would have passed, I counted them 49 houses on the way up Right. you know, I I mean, and there's dozens more houses further down the road my own included, like, there's hundreds of families out here, you know, this is the road that we use to drive on and to walk on and like, I just don't understand how someone could think that it's okay to come out here and just chuck that and think no, that it's our problem now.
3: I, I am literally incredulous because, as I said, I, I know the dumping problem in the area, but at least they'll have the, and I use the, the word in inverted commas, they'll have the decency to find yeah. a gateway or, yeah. or a crack in the ditch or something. But this yeah. literally, they just tossed it out of the car yeah. onto the s- yeah. like, if Like, if you met, one car met another coming up that road, one yeah. of you has to go around that that
6: coach yeah I mean it has it has the potential for an accident like I thankfully I did log the issue with the county council and the couch has been removed now so presumably they came out and took it but if it, I mean it had been there for a good number of days and it definitely had the potential for like a serious accident because you know people drive fast out here yes. if you thought you could pull into in there and you know suddenly there was a couch blocking your way I don't want to think about what could have happened you know it could have gone very badly wrong
7: absolutely
3: as yeah. no, like I said now that takes it. That actually takes it to a whole new level. They yeah. might as well have just left it in the middle of the road and we treat exactly. it as a roundabout. Like.
6: I know, yeah. Look, but it's just, you know, it's just a disrespect. I mean, like, I, I just don't understand how, you know, someone could do that, dump that, and then drive home and put it out of their mind, you know? Like, it's the equivalent of if I got a huge big bag of rubbish, walked into their garden, walked up to their front front door, left it at their front door and walked away. Like, I don't, I don't think that would be acceptable, do you? no.
3: No, no, no. Look, there's no illegal dumping acceptable. I have a zero tolerance myself for illegal dumping. Zero tolerance. Yeah. But yeah. this takes the biscuit. The yeah. whole tin of USA assorted. This takes it.
6: <laughs> I know, and it's just and not, like it's even doubly frustrating because, like from what I saw of the couch, it seemed in pretty good shape. It didn't seem damaged, and like there's so many like worthy, deserving charities that <laughs> would take furniture and. You know, I mean, they could have happily taken it off their hands. It would have done a bit of good. But instead, you know, it's just been chucked out here and it's not helping anyone.
3: I suppose... I suppose there isn't the remotest chance that it literally fell off a trailer.
6: I think that would be a terrible piece of bad luck and I hope the poor person that lost the couch would uh, have realised that and come back for it.
3: You would hope so, wouldn't
6: you? I would hope so. I would hate if that poor person, you know came home, realized they'd left their couch somewhere and they'd know where to sit down. I mean, my heart would go out to them.
3: Yes, yes. (laughs) That's how ridiculous it is. I was just throwing it out there. Yeah. So, as I said, I very often, I say, I I don't shock easy, but that is just, that's just mad. That's just (laughs) demented, like a a, a full, that's a bit like one time when I was over in Spain, I saw an entire three-piece suite and half a kitchen on the side of the road. <laughs> but at least it was a dumping ground where the council yeah. were going to come. This isn't. Yeah. This no,
6: isn't. it's not. At the end of the day, it's not a dumping ground, you know. It's not people's rubbish bin. Like, it's people's homes are yeah. out here, you know. That's it's not your quiet little country dumping ground to get rid of the stuff that's annoying you, you know. That's yeah. not what it is. That's not what it's supposed to be out here.
3: Alright, Saif, thanks for that. Good to talk to you and thank you for the photographs. They're on the Opinion Line Twitter uh, just now. <laughs> You'll think right, a couch dumped out of a car, but just to describe again, they literally haven't even looked for a clearing, a gateway, a hole in the ditch, a wider point. They haven't. They've just literally stopped the car and horsed this thing off into the ditch. It is actually, it's it is actually still on the road. It's not even in the ditch. That's bonkers. Eighteen fifty seven one five nine nine six. Can we just
1: talk? The Opinion
3: Line on Corks 96 FM. With dairy-made
1: premium spread, 100% natural, and made in Cork using West Cork Cream. Oldies and Irish on Corks 96 FM is the big Sunday show on your radio. Big, big, big show, 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 radio. radio, radio. Turn it up and take it easy with the best music mix for your Sunday morning. morning. Welcome along to the program. Lovely to be with you on a Sunday morning. Oldies and Irish with Derry O'Callaghan. Sundays, 10 a.m. to 2 p.m. With Hidden Hearing, tuning you in so you don't miss a thing. And we've been doing it for over 30 years. Hiddenhearing.ie. Cork's 96 FM. Can we just talk?
0: The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan.
1: Text or WhatsApp now. 083
3: 396 96 96. On Courts 96 FM. Yeah, I have zero tolerance for illegal dumping. None that ever was. Uh, but that takes the, the, the whole tin of USA biscuits. Caller says, as I was going into the petrol station, the guy in front of me just threw a banana skin straight onto the ground. If he'll do that when there's people all around him, what would he do if he needed to get rid of something and nobody was watching? And if he's listening this morning, he should be ashamed of himself. You don't say what garage or where it was, but... If he's listening, he should be ashamed of himself. I just noticed this morning, bringing my son to Blarney Street School, they're building new houses near the school. Someone has thrown a couch and a chair over the hoarding. That must have taken some effort. It's over six foot high. You wouldn't notice it unless you came down from the top of the road. To where the gate is for the workers to get in, like the horse uh, 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 over a hoarding onto a building like that takes effort. That takes effort and takes absolute contempt for for your civic duties and all of that too. Eighteen fifty seven one five nine nine six. I said I go through some of this science stuff for you because we were listening to Boris last evening, putting it all off in the UK for four weeks and and essentially just saying look we need the vaccines to get ahead of the virus and take a few more weeks for the NHS to give them the opportunity to get ahead before reopening in full and you have to say he is right look he's acting on scientific information it didn't pluck it out of his own head but he's acting on scientific advice and he's he's absolutely right couple of things in the news though Just as he was announcing that, literally as he was announcing that yesterday evening, Public Health England issued new information, new data. And this is brilliant. It concerns the the Delta variant. And they were worried that with only one dose of, say, AstraZeneca in particular, you only had about 30% resistance to this thing. They now... In Public Health England, are very satisfied that if you've had your two doses, and obviously you've waited for the the bedding in time, which after Pfizer, and I can only say this because I had Pfizer myself, so I know, the bedding in time after Pfizer is one week. After the one week after your second dose of Pfizer, you have you're waiting for this. You have over ninety percent resistance to the Delta variant like that's that's really good 90% resistance to the delta variant the same with the um, AstraZeneca after the second dose which is great that's really good that's really good science news this morning so there's the logic of what Boris is saying we get the vaccine program ahead of the Variants, and and we will be able to deal with this. There's also some fabulous news last evening coming from from Ireland, actually from the Royal College of Surgeons. You know the way so many people we've heard that got very advanced COVID nineteen and ended up in intensive care and sadly passed away. One of the things that severe COVID caused was blood clots, and scientists were trying to figure out why is it that you get a, a respiratory virus. And it can cause blood clots. And obviously they were trying to figure out what the hell is going on there. So the Royal College of Surgeons have a team of researchers. Uh, and they have found that there are two chemicals in our blood. It's led by a Dr. Jamie O'Sullivan. There are two chemicals in our blood. Let's not be worried about what kind of chemicals they are. That doesn't matter. It just complicates things. There are two substances in our bodies. One is called von Willebrand factor. Again, don't mind the name of it. It's called Von Willebrand Factor. The other one is called Adams TS-13. Again, don't worry about it. You might as well call them beans and sausages. But Von Willebrand Factor and Adams TS-13. These are two very important substances in our body. They have to stay at a particular balance within the body so that they both work. You with me? One of them causes clotting. The other reduces clotting effectively and they have to stay at a balance within your body but they've discovered now that severe covid19 is chucking them out of balance and as a result the one the willy brand factor is causing the clots it's a fantastic discovery it's really great work done here in in dublin in in Dr. Jamie O'Sullivan uh, with the Irish Centre for Vascular Biology at the Royal College of Surgeons so taking this knowledge now they hope they'll create another treatment to prevent severe blood clots with COVID-19 it's just, when you watch how science has, has worked so hard to combat this damn thing yeah I've got the figures now from Public Health England they say 96% resistance to the Delta variant with two doses of Pfizer and 92% with AstraZeneca. We are getting there. We're definitely getting there. Ongoing court case in West Cork concerns a grandmother who insists that she doesn't believe in COVID restrictions and has been charged with refusing to wear a mask while she was shopping. It's the case of Margaret Buttimer. She's 66 and she was in court again uh, yesterday. Uh, our senior news reporter Fiona Corcoran has the latest. Fiona, good morning. Good morning, PJ. What can you tell us about Margaret Buttimer?
8: That's right, PJ. Margaret Buttimer is a 66-year-old grandmother from Bandon and she appeared before Bandon District Court yesterday on two charges of... Um, being in breach of the health act for not wearing a mask in shops now we heard that on the 12th of may last she went into boots pharmacy in uh bandon and the staff there asked her to wear a mask and she refused and the staff offered her masks and she still refused to wear one and gardi were called and um she was later arrested and two days later she went to aldi in bandon and again similar situation happened gardi were called by staff after they had asked her a number of times to wear a mask and she refused and uh, when she left the store she tried to re-enter a number of times and she told gardi that she didn't believe in the COVID regulations and she pleaded guilty to these charges she appeared in court yesterday And um, she was uh, remanded on continuing bail until July 12th. Now, her solicitor, Plunkett Taff, had asked for an adjournment because he said even though she was pleading guilty, they were hoping to get medical reports, which may shed some light on why she is refusing to wear a mask. Mm -hmm. And he said that she had an appointment with a consultant. So Judge James McNulty agreed to put the case back until July 12th to receive those reports. Now, PJ, Margaret Butmer, um, she, if you remember, she was in court last month. She had um, refused to wear a mask when she was in in Dunstores and Kilty And she was charged with that. And she had also been charged with being abusive towards the manager of the store and um, when she appeared in Bandon District Court that day she refused to wear a mask in court and the judge um, sent her to jail for the weekend Mm. and when she returned then the following week um, she was convicted on the two charges and she was fined €350 and she was given a three week suspended sentence and they asked her yesterday if that um, the the judge James McNulty asked yesterday in court if that €350 fine had been paid yet and um, Solicitor Plunkett-Taft said he didn't believe it had and um so we were waiting on an update on that as well. But mm. yes, yeah, so this seems to be an ongoing issue here. And um, I suppose we, we'll find out more on July 12th what the consultant's report brings back in okay. relation to this case. Mm. Um, but yes, yeah, she um, she did appear in court yesterday. Now, she didn't have a mask on her, but the judge said that she was able to sit at the back of the courthouse safely because there was no one in the vicinity okay. of the area where she was sitting.
3: OK, and they're, they're waiting on, on her consultant's reports, and that'll be there mm. on the 12th of July and I'm sure we'll catch up on it again. It's just a fascinating ongoing story. The story, thank you Fiona, the story of Margaret Buttimer from Bandon um, who has refused to wear face masks in a number of shops and is now before the courts as a result of that. We'll follow it into July. 1850 715-996. Do you remember last week I had uh, Katrina Toomey, was on the opinion line, at Katrina from the Penny Dinners, and it was a follow-up on the newspaper story where people that she knows that use the penny dinner services are now deliberately committing offences like little public order offences, thefts and stuff just to get themselves arrested, to get themselves remanded, to get themselves sent to prison for a couple of weeks or a month just to get off the streets, just to get a place to lay their head, just to get a place where they're guaranteed three meals a day. How sad and how desperate must you be? We were talking about that, myself and Katrina, last week. And then yesterday, Nicole Ryan uh, put up a Facebook post uh, about someone that she met around town. Uh, Nicole, good morning to you.
7: Hi, PJ. Good morning. How are you?
3: Good to talk to you again. Now, explain, first of all, what you were doing. I
7: was on a run with Frank Horgan, um, through the city so what I was doing is because I work as well part time in um, Good Shepherd I'm training towards becoming an addiction counsellor so I did that on that kind of uh, leg I went out with Frank so Frank took me out for the day we were basically cleaning up the needles around various parts of the city and it was like it was an unbelievable eye opener for me I think that I would say that you know I'm pretty open minded but just seeing these places and seeing and meeting some of the people it was just like I I don't see phenomenal or unbelievable because it's not Mm. it it was just so like shocking and very very it just brought it really home to me you know what I
3: mean. Mm. Mm. Tell me about Frank's needle needle exchange before we get to what you actually saw.
7: Yeah so Frank basically does amazing work Um, everybody knows Frank House, So they basically go into places around the city where people might be using and might be injecting. They basically clean up the needles. They give packs to people. You know, they come across people. They do brief interventions. They're basically accessing people who are, I suppose they slip through the cracks. They are the forgotten of the society and they probably wouldn't access services regularly, like maybe other services, like the homeless services and stuff like that. Mm. Um, so the work that they do is, Unbelievable to see air. It's 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 just class because it's kind of the Portuguese model in a sense.
3: Mm. So what did you see?
7: Yeah, we were walking around um, to different places where people inject, and I was horrified at the, some of the places that I saw because I'm telling you, PJ, like you wouldn't put a cockroach in them, and people are you know living there, they're injecting, they're using and stuff like that. But and we met three lads kind of in the city centre, one the lanes. And they were the nicest people. Like, I, like you know, people have their opinions, but they were just lovely lads. They didn't mind, you know, injecting in front of me. They let me watch. And we kind of just had a brief chat with them. Oh, and sorry, did they know
3: Frank, Nick? Did they know they Frank? Know,
7: they, knew, they knew Frank, yeah. Right, right, right. So it was kind of like Frank had a line with them already. You know, they've heard of Frank and stuff like that, so they were totally okay with it. Like, I don't think if anybody off the street just came in there, they'd be okay with that. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, and we just had a chat and one of them turned around and goes uh, yeah, you know, I'm going to jail soon, I can't wait it's going to give me a break, thank God I'll be able to get off the stuff for a while
3: Crikey Yeah it's That sad. takes a second or two to sink in, doesn't it?
7: Yeah Like that's that's the reality that people don't see or don't understand sometimes with addiction I know people often think that like it's kind of like black and white why don't you just go to rehab? Mm. And, you know, it'll be solved. But unless you're willing to give the person a home, ex- access to, you know, loads of resources, have a whole wraparound team around mm. the person, mm. it's not that easy. And yeah. it takes going to jail for somebody to actually have stability, have a place to sleep, be able to get clean,
3: mm-hmm. you know. Be able to get medical help to get clean. Yeah. Yeah. Because that's, that's what Katrina was saying last week as well. Some of the people she knows are so desperate to get themselves clean, get off the drink, get off the drugs, whatever, even for a little while, that they're committing crimes just to get themselves into jail.
7: That's it, exactly. And, like, pe- these people, they might go on days without anybody talking to them, and they just want to be heard. Like, all the boys are telling us, like, aspects of their lives. They just, they want it to be listened to.
3: Yeah. Yeah. How do you think your training as a as a counsellor now? These are the people that you will be professionally dealing with when when you when you finish your training. How do you feel about about it, Nick? It's a, it's a huge problem, isn't it?
7: It is. It's a massive problem. Um, but I think there's also a big problem of ignorance amongst you know just the general public, mm-hmm. um, and just kind of you're looking down on somebody that is sick, you know a lot of the time people aren't using to just, you know, get high or whatever. They're using for specific purposes just to get out of their own mind or something. Sometimes, I often say it like, it's very hard for people to sometimes understand this, but, like, some people use drugs to save their own lives because if they're in their own head, they'll jump into the lead, like, you know? Yeah.
3: Yeah. It's a terrible place to be caught and a terrible place to be in that, that... I got a video a couple of weeks ago yeah. And I was talking about it here on the air. It was three lads, and you know, I, I just said, "Right, we're not going to show it. We're not going to share it because mm. they're three guys. They're just, they're just not well. They're sick people." Yeah, yeah, yeah
7: they're not well. Um, and I nobody gets up in the morning
3: and decides I'm going to get that way.
7: No, it doesn't. And the sad part was that yesterday when I met when we met those guys, you know, they were going to have to do that another three or four times that day. You know, they were going to have to go out and get it again and do the exact same thing three or four more times because, you know, that one hit wasn't going to last them the whole day at all.
3: Wow, that's the level of addiction that they're at. That's helpless.
7: Exactly. So, like, I just, I wish that everybody, if you ever get a chance to go out with Frank, do it. Like, do it. It's going to, like, open your mind beyond comprehension. For anybody that has that opinion that, you know, they're whatever that awful word, junkies, drug addicts, all that kind of stuff. Just go out and see what it's like. And I'd say you wouldn't be long changing your mind.
3: Yeah. I'm tempted to go for a walk with Frank myself, you know. You should. You really, really should. All right, (laughs) Nick, always great to chat with you. Mind yourself, girl. Take care. Bye-bye. That's Nicole Ryan of Alex's Adventures. She's, of course, also training currently as an addiction counsellor. I... I might do that actually. I'm getting, i getting. I just take a walk and see the the harsh, harsh reality. 1850, 715,
0: 996. Can we just talk? The opinion line on Cork's 96 FM.
1: With Dairy Made Premium Spread, 100% natural and made in Cork using West Cork Cream. <laughs>
0: The Corks 96FM Music Panel gives you the power to pick our playlist. Click 96FM.ie now. 96FM.ie
1: now. Take the 10-minute survey and you could win a 100-euro shopping voucher.
0: The power to pick what we play. Pick
1: what we play. Join the Quark's 96FM Music Panel.
0: Find the link on Instagram, Facebook and Twitter.
1: Find the link on Instagram, Facebook and Twitter.
3: Or C 96 ie. Now Bridget contacted the opinion line I think it was either Thursday or Friday Friday I'm fairly sure and she was in a bit of pickle because over the long weekend she's had a water leak at home she's a council tenant she'd had a water leak and it had caused problems with the electrics she rang the council and they sent out an emergency electrician but... The electrician came out and he sorted that end of it out and they couldn't use the shower and there were a few more things they had to watch but the water was still coming down and when I spoke to Bridget she was afraid that the ceiling in the kitchen would fall in and of course that maybe more damage might be done to the electrics. No one had come out even despite promises that it, she would soon see a plumber. Now our, our friend uh, Dave Gibbons uh, stepped in to help at least temporarily and Bridget's on the line again, hi Bridget
9: hello, how are you
3: good how are um, things now
9: uh, very very good thank you. Uh, I want to thank uh, Dave for his kindness um he came fixed it within about ten minutes um he said it they didn't put back the pipe when the leak was there before they didn't or uh, there was another problem with the water, the taps. And he didn't put back the the tap pro- the tap pipe properly, so the water was actually coming down. It wasn't fitted properly or sealed, so the water was coming out of the pipe down, to, down onto the ceiling. And he said it would have taken about 10 minutes.
3: Right. So uh, you were fearful when we talked that the ceiling would collapse, and you, he said you weren't far away from it?
9: No. Oh, uh, the water was you could see the water starting to fit in in the ceiling and stuff and okay. he said the water was lodged in the pipes he fixed it within 10 minutes and I want to thank him from the bottom of my heart okay. and the corporation still hasn't come to me
3: He's one of the good guys is Dave Gibbons uh, Oh and
9: he's a lovely man a lovely yeah. man a gentleman That's, that's good to there's off awful worry off you mind
3: Not well. at all it's, it's you know—it's not often we can do something as solid as that but we were able to help How's the electrics uh, they, did the electrician take came out did he just make it safer? did he he fix it n
9: no, he just he just uh, disconnected the main uh, trip switch coming down from the scene they put in these you know these fa- uh, these uh, fans for all in the corporation houses there last year year before and it's a it's a main switch coming down but okay. he just disconnected it and the wires are still hanging there and the the socket is still oh, opened
10: no. oh, my oh god okay and okay. um
9: It was just full of water. So they never came back to me or contacted me. I've rang them again since, but I've heard nothing. And I got on to two TDs. Um, One of them was a former boss of mine, Tony Fitzgerald, as well. Yeah, Tony Tony
3: actually contacted us looking to get in touch with you. Yeah, yeah.
9: Yeah, I know Tony. i worked for Tony before. He knows me well. Yeah. And um, they haven't... um, Come near my door, but I, I've spoken to another person as well, and they haven't had problems for two years like that as well. Yeah. And like last January 12 months, All oh right, last Last January 12 months, uh, the foreman in the corporation in Churchfield was supposed to come down. He came down to look at the, the, the problem, and he said he'd be back within a couple of days, that it was a big job, and he'd done it. And that's maybe two years on now, and I haven't seen
3: him. Right, yeah. And you still haven't had any return or any phone back from the council? No,
9: nothing, no. nothing, nothing. I went to, even over to the city hall door and I was speaking to the security man on 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 Friday and nothing.
3: Okay.
9: I'm mm. after ringing about 13 or 14 times.
3: Right. And this but happened on the it, June it, weekend?
9: Yeah. Well, I'm fine now. I, I, I'll I get in um, my my ex-husband's nephew is an um, electrician so okay. I'm going to get him to come down and fix the wiring for me.
3: Alright, alright, well listen
9: And I want to thank you from the bottom of my heart and thank everyone.
3: No, no, no Especially Dave, your you know, an angel. Ah, Dave, a, is Dave, first, Dave is yeah. a legend, Dave is a legend David has often contacted this programme when we've had a problem like this and he just steps in and just makes <laughs> it right there and then for people and but They could
9: electric. have came down and fixed it in 10 minutes but they just couldn't be bothered. Alright
3: Okay. All right, thank you, God. Bridget, bless you. I know you've and you've you have you have you have you have a hands full there with some uh, in a small person.
9: My grandson from Spain, yeah. Oh my god,
3: okay. <laughs> right, god uh, that's it. Go take you care of him. Thanks very much. That's Bridget.
0: The lines are live. And we're ready to talk. Can we just talk?
1: Call 1850-715-996.
0: Text or WhatsApp 083-396-9696.
1: Email opinion at 96 fmie
0: the Opinion Line with P.J. Coogan
1: on Cork's 96FM.
3: For the forecast for the rest of the week, according to my favourite weather app, it still is my favourite weather app the dark sky mixed bag I'm afraid, not bad today now, it's a big grand. it won't be as warm and, or as bright as yesterday afternoon and evening but nothing nothing too bad, tomorrow bleh, 1 in 4 chance of rain, 18 degrees Thursday 19 degrees Friday looks like being the nicest day of the week uh, lovely bright sunny day and 17 degrees but the weekend at this stage looking like a bit of a washout, unfortunately Unfortunately, I hate to be the bearer of bad news, but it does look that like the weekend. Now, that's likely to change. It can change. But at the moment, the weekend looking like a bit of a washout. Nothing like the, the wonderful weather that we had last weekend. Good morning. Eighteen fifty seven one five nine nine six is the number to call. Now, the front page story on today's uh, Echo is a tragic story. And indeed, it's a warning to us. Uh, to stay vigilant, uh, I quoted earlier on from a piece in the Independent, where Professor Luke O'Neill is warning uh, people who've only had one dose of, uh, particularly AstraZeneca, because they're the ones waiting longest. Just stay put and and stick with it for a while, because don't be don't be tempted to travel, and you're not you're not as anything near as as uh, resistant. as as you would like to be yet after one dose of the vaccine. Well, the front page of the the Echo uh, features the story of Valerie. uh, Thanks very much to Sarah Horgan for her assistance in getting Valerie O'Connor on the phone. Val, good morning to you.
11: Good morning, PJ. How are you?
3: Good. And first of all, my condolences and the condolences of the team on the loss of your mom, Bernie, because this is still very raw and very painful for you, and I'm so glad and, that you've decided to take our call. Thank you. What happened you. to her?
11: Uh, well, you know, like everybody else, we went into the lockdown last March, 12 months, and the worry came in, and worry for everyone, no matter what it was, and we went through the year, got to Christmas, everything was good, she was safe, and we were all happy as a family. Then in January, we get the call to say that she's, they're getting the vaccine, and would we sign for the vaccine? And we were absolutely... We got together as a family and said, yes, this is what we need to do. We need to keep mom safe. That was our priority, keep her safe so that we can get in and visit her again, because it was have to be horrendous 12 months.
3: What age was she?
11: She was 86, okay. and she was fine, only that she had... Dementia.
3: Right. So was she she was in a care home, was
11: she? She was in a care home down in, in Brookfield in Liam Lara, and they were brilliant. They mm-hmm. were they're brilliant down there. They were brilliant to us because PJ, when somebody first goes into a nursing home, it's very, very hard on a family whether you're doing right or whether you're doing wrong. Yes. How you adjust and it takes you on a new road, a new road you've never been on before, and you have to deal with with that road, and you have to deal with the emotions mm. and the good days and the bad days. It's a, it's
3: a decision that, that can melt your own head, isn't it, when you're oh, trying to make definitely.
11: it? It's not an easy decision for anyone to make, and you're, you're saying to yourself, are we doing right? Are we doing wrong? But then you've got to look at the person and say, we've got to put them first. We've got to keep yeah. mum safe. And that was our priority through everything. Yeah. Our number one priority was to keep her safe.
3: And you weren't able to see her for weeks and then I suppose. We
11: weren't able to see her then from March to August. And then in August, two of us got to visit her one every week. Just two out of the five. Gotcha. And then it locked down again. And then it opened again, you know, this opening and closing. And then we all got to see her one at a time, one per week. And the last time then that one of us was physically with her was myself on Christmas Day.
3: That's the last gone. time you were actually that with was her.
11: The last. I was actually with her before the virus hit.
3: Okay, tell so me, tell me about her before we go into that that part of the story. Tell me well, what was she like before the dementia? Oh, what was Bernie she
11: was like? A very strong, independent woman. She came from Turners Cross of a family of thirteen. Her right. mom, her own mom, died very young, and they were left with thirteen of them. And they were a wonderful family. They were just brilliant, like, you know. And they'd meet, then, all the sisters. There was five sisters Mm -hmm. and eight sister-in-laws. And every Saturday at 12 o'clock, they met and wrote to stores all the years. And they'd sit down there, and they would tell each other what was going on in each other's family. So we didn't need... Nobody had phones, anyway. But we all knew what each of our cousins was doing, who was doing well, who was sick, who was getting married... And if you had a wedding invitation or a 21st invitation, you went to Rota stores on Saturday at 12 o'clock, and everybody was there.
10: Crikey! Like a meeting, the, like a meeting every time. The
11: meeting flare all the way right <laughs> to up to the time Rota stores closed.
3: That's gas. There's a lovely picture of the two of you actually on, on the Echo today.
11: That was taken in the end care home last summer. Right. You know when we were, you have to take her out for a walk in the garden when she could go out and you sit in the sunshine and you just to be with her like was the most important thing, and we as a family, then we arranged that instead of all of us going one day, each one went a different day, so she had someone every day that's lovely everyone every day yeah. and so that she always had someone with us
3: and valerie but was she was she was she with it to the point where she knew you all and
11: she she did and she didn't yeah. up to the first lockdown. But I thought, my personal opinion, when I went in after the first lockdown, I was devastated because the little bit that I had, it was gone. Yeah. It was gone because we were too too far since we had seen her, the connection. And we were starting to build up that connection again. Your voice or something you'd say or she'd come back into you for a few seconds and she'd know it was you. Yeah. If you got those lucky days, you held on to those.
10: Oh yeah.
11: They became very, very precious. Now, she she had six children. Five of us were at home together. And then when we were all reared, one more came along, the youngest girl, Trisha. And Trisha became her star, her life, because my father had died very, very young. He Chris, was, though, was it just... He died uh, suddenly. Yeah. And so Trisha was born Trisha. and she became her life. Gotcha. Trisha was at home with her when we were all just going out to work or doing our leaving sir we were that much grown up yeah. It was being great grass between us all and she became her life and she was with her in the house while the rest of us came and went you know yourself when you're married yourself you come and go yeah. and yeah. I, I had a great relationship with my mother after my dad died because I had many many operations growing up when I was born I was born with Spina bifida, and she was told I'd never have a life this is in the 60s she she wasn't taking that she wasn't taking that she moved to Dublin when I was in Dublin for a year in the hospital and lived with her brothers in Dublin and came up and down and she came back here and she learned to do the physiotherapy with my dad and every night when the Angela would ring up she would do the physiotherapy whether I wanted it or not and I'm walking today because of all that and because of all the my second home growing up was the orthopaedic Mm. and I'd be in for operations. I only just had to have one six weeks ago again. Right. It was the first one I had without her holes in my hand. Ah. And that was very, very hard.
3: Say it was. So let's come to, to January, uh, yes,
11: then We got the call and we signed to have the vaccine and we all relaxed. And we said, thank God, she was getting the first vaccine. We're almost there. Mm-hmm. We could see ourselves going back in and we could see ourselves getting the vaccine ourselves and saying, this is great. Now, we're going to pick it up and we're going to get back in. And we're going to, ha- you know, have, have her back. Have her back. That's all we wanted. So she got the vaccine and we were grand. And then one morning the phone rang that she, they were testing them every three days for symptoms. Mm. All right through the lockdown. And they were all negative, 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 negative. And you'll be told they were We'd great communication with the home. And then you get the phone call to say one had come back positive. Right. And it just, everything just stopped. Couldn't ha- believe it.
3: How long after the first jab was that,
11: Hillary? I'd say the first jab was on the 11th or the 12th of January and this was the 25th. Okay. So about 10 days. 10 so days.
3: halfway between the first halfway and
11: the second Halfway between and the second, yeah. And we, we did see the light at the end of the tunnel and we, you know, we had a family boy were between us and we were all in contact. It was the only contact we had and we'd each let each know what was going on day to day today, day to day and we were saying great she's doing well then the phone rang to say unfortunately she had come back with symptoms with the virus but with no symptoms she was fine okay so that was a Thursday Friday we get the same phone call Friday morning there was no symptoms she was doing fine she was eating she was sitting up she was herself okay but then around course the six on that Friday, I felt very unsettled myself. I couldn't rest. And I decided to ring the home just as they were ringing me. It was like we crossed paths. And I rang and they just said that she needed a bit of oxygen. One liter of oxygen. So that was devastating in itself because the alarm bells then in the back of your head were starting to ring. And I said, this is not good. This is not good. And then one oxygen. And for the next two or three days, it was the same. No real changes. No real changes until the middle, until about the Tuesday or the Wednesday. Mm. And then things started to change.
3: Can can I pause you, Valerie, Mm -hmm. for two minutes? Because I want to take a commercial break and I want to give you an opportunity to go through everything in detail. So the best thing for me to do is take a commercial break right now Okay? okay. So take a breath there for me and we'll okay. ta- we'll take it up from the point where things start to get a little bit worse. Okay. And and we'll speak again in about three minutes, Valerie. Talking to Valerie O'Connor, her story is in the echo today uh, about the loss of her mum, Bernie. And Valerie wants us all to learn from this that just because you've had one dose doesn't mean you're safe just yet. I'll be back with Valerie in just a sec.
0: Can we just talk? The Opinion Line on Cork's 96 FM.
1: With Dairy Made Premium Spread, 100% natural and made in Cork using West Cork Cream. Can we just talk? The Opinion
0: Line with PJ Coogan. Text
1: or WhatsApp now 083 396 96 96. 96.
3: On Cork's 96 FM. Yeah, thank you for holding Valerie. I'm talking to Valerie O'Connor, whose mom, Bernie, uh, died earlier this year from COVID-19 after she had received the first dose of her vaccine. To recall for listeners, mum was 86, she was in a care home and the family were so relieved that the vaccination programme had begun and they thought, right, now only a matter of time till we can go to see her again and be with her again. And then they got the call to say that she tested positive. Initially she was asymptomatic and then she developed symptoms and then before the break when I left Valerie, uh, she was on the oxygen and things were not good. Hi Valerie again, take Hi, take again. the story up from there.
11: So we came through the week We got off from of Friday, Saturday or into Friday. And the following Saturday then I got a phone call again from you know, you must remember now the care home had set up an email with us and we were they emailed us twice a day and they rang us every three to four hours. And we could ring any time in between that. The communication between us and the care home was second to none. Brilliant. They they really went beyond what I heard from other care homes. But for me and our care home, they were second to none. They were brilliant as much as they could be.
3: And that's a big help.
11: on the Saturday morning, then I got a call early in the morning to know could I gather the family, just her sons and daughters, and could we come down to the home that things had progressed overnight quite badly. So that was an awful shock because, you know, she was kind of holding her own during the week. So the five of us went down. We were standing in the middle of the car park, the snow coming down around us. And we were given 10 minutes each with us one by one over the course of the morning. And we were, they were left in the back door because her room was right next to the back door. Mm-hmm. We had to be gowned, masked, gloved. You know, I felt like an alien going into her, really, like, you know, and we couldn't touch her or anything, but they did give us that precious couple of minutes with her in the room one by one. So this progressed again, into Sunday, and on the Monday, she took a turn for the best, which is unusual, and they rang me to say that she had sat up. She asked for a cup of tea, and could I come down myself, that there was no need for the five of us to come down that day. That everything was looking fairly okay mm. so I went down PJ and I walked into the room and I just said hello Mom, I'm here and she looked at me and her eyes followed me around the room and I felt oh my goodness mum you, you're some woman like you know you're, you're, you're doing okay and we had a lovely visit and I just started singing songs that she liked the road to Chile and all the personal songs that she loved mm. and I just because she couldn't speak I just started singing and I could see the reflection in her eyes that she could understand me. And she knew I was there. Mm-hmm. She knew I was there, but I still, you know. And then the next day, because we things were going so well, my brother went down. It was his turn to go down. And when he came out that day, he rang me and he said, look, Val, and he said, whatever you got yesterday, it's not there anymore. It's gone. She's just beginning to turn again. So... Got a lovely day on the Monday, and then on the Tuesday, everything changed again.
3: And Val, sorry, when when you were there with her, had she, had she been off the oxygen at this stage? No, she was no. still
11: on, on okay. one. She was still getting the oxygen just to help her breathe to make it easier for her. But she was sitting up, you know, she, I bounced out of that place, TJ, quite happy that day. Yeah. Happier than I'd been all week, with a little bit of lilt in my voice and saying, okay. She's fighting back, and she. it looks like maybe maybe she will survive this. Yeah. She's strong, because she was never sick a day in her life. She'd never been in hospital. She mm. never knew what it was to be in hospital. So, But unfortunately, on the Tuesday, when my brother went, he saw that what I got on Monday, he didn't get on Tuesday. And by Wednesday, we were all back there on Wednesday. And then we came to Friday the 12th, and we each had... Our designated time to go down, mm-hmm. and a lot of the grandchildren decided that they that they'd love to see her, so they were allowed to come to the window when one of us was in the room. Mm-hmm. you know, so all the grandchildren just got it into their heads that they to pay a visit, and they came to the windows one by one, whoever was around at the time so i went to, I was going down on the Friday, and I just took my husband in the car. I need to get Valentine Day roses. I need to get roses somewhere. So we stopped and carried two and I managed to get a bunch of roses mm. and I brought the roses down. And when I went down, I gave her her Valentine Day roses. And I walked into the room and I looked at her and I just said to the, the head nurse that was with me, should I get her clothes ready? Because I think she's going to go to the ball this time without me. And they just turned down and said, it's coming from you. If you feel you need to do this today, Then you do this.
3: What did you mean by that?
11: I just saw something in her, I don't know what it was, and I just felt that she wasn't going to make it. She wasn't going to make it. And I didn't know how long she had, I didn't know when it was going to happen. But an instinct told me maybe it's going to happen and she's going to go. Because whenever we went to a wedding, right, it was always the two of us went to the weddings together. Even at, at one stage, I turned my eyes off to heaven. I said, not another invitation. You <laughs> so, know, she had a party, she had a 50th, she had a 60th, she had a wedding. And it was always me that had to go with her. Yeah. So, no, it's it was us, like, Yeah, and she walked for the guards in the mall Road. She went out there. For two weeks and ended up staying
3: 24 years. When, and out, out in the old Mallor Road station? The old
11: Mallor Road Gardner station. I yes, yeah. my dad would have known her.
3: My dad would have known her. her. She was oh, there from
11: 1984 sake. up to her 75th birthday. Yeah, she'd have... She was the cleaner out there. She went for two weeks and ended up staying 24 years and loved every minute of it. They oh, were right, fabulous out there. with her. She mm-hmm. was part of their furniture. But to get back to where I was on yeah. the Friday... I just felt that this time she was going to go to a ball or a wedding. And I was saying, look, I'm going to get your clothes ready because if you're going to meet Dad and my brother, who had died at the age of 17, you better look your best. And so I went to her wardrobe and I pulled out clothes, all her new clothes that we had bought her for Christmas that she'd never worn yet. And I said, there you are now. And if you're going to go, it's okay. We're fine here. And if you're tired, and if you had enough, it's okay to go. But if you want to stay and fight, that's okay too, but the decision is yours. I'm not going to hold you back if that's what you want. If you had enough, if Dad is calling you, then you go to him too. We're fine here. We're going to be fine here. We're and, all fine and Val, here. Did,
3: did you stand by her bed or sit by her bed and have this conversation? I
11: did. I was sitting by her bed, and all I could touch was her hairline just her forehead, that's all that was visible to me. And I had masks and gloves and we all did. And I was just, I just said to her, if you feel you want to go, mum, it's okay. And I think we all said that to her as they went that day. Now, we didn't expect her to go that day. There was no way that we thought it'd be all over. I had left and my brother, the youngest boy, had his visit and he was in the room two minutes with her and She went. Just like that. She went with him there. She went, at least one of us was there and that's the consolation that we got. But the shock that she went so fast that when you had left, you didn't expect that to happen. Yeah. And then you're there, PJ, saying, what do we do now? Because my mum had made all her funeral arrangements 15 years before she ever got sick and said, if I ever go, lads, this is what you're to do. And she got it typed up and she got assigned and dated and witnessed. That's my, That's my rosary. That's my removal. That's my burial. And this is what you're to do. And you're there then that night and you know in your heart and soul you can't do any of this thing. So what do we do? And what can we do? And what should we do? It was so, so hard. Valerie, will, will
3: you let me take another break? Um, because there's a I'm lot more.
11: Too much, you're
3: not. You're brilliant. You're brilliant, and I, and I really, really want to stay talking to you because this is such a moving story, and I, I want to, I want to stay with it, and I know the listeners want to stay with it, but, but I do need to take another commercial break, okay. and we'll come back again. All right. I'm talking to Valerie O'Connor. There's more to this story, and it comes with a lesson to us all that after the one jab, you're not there yet. You're not there yet. Uh, this is a moving, moving story. We'll return to it next.
0: Can we just talk? opinion line on Cork's 96FM.
1: With dairy made premium spread, 100% natural and made in Cork using West Cork Cream.
0: Access all areas on Cork's 96FM. Your guide to
1: nightlife on Leaside.
0: Hi, it's Michael here with an update on Cork's entertainment. The practice of artist Amanda Rice addresses a variety of issues related to humanity's impact on Earth's ecosystems. Amanda operates across moving image and sculpture, and her exhibition material and Immaterial Worlds is currently running at Triscal Gallery. Access All Areas Rising Irish songwriter Alva Reddy has announced an intimate Cork show set to take place at Wintrop Avenue on November 21st. Tickets are now on sale from cypressavenue.ie Access All Areas Feel free to let us know at Access All Areas if you have a rescheduled show coming up or any live streaming events by emailing us at aaa at 96fm.ie Access All Areas Your guide to nightlife on
1: the side On Cork's 96fm
3: Corks. 96FM. Speaking to Valerie O'Connor who is on the Echo today talking about the loss of her mum, uh, Bernie to COVID-19 earlier this year after Bernie had had one part of her vaccination. And uh, there's a lot more detail in our conversation than there is in the Echo and I'd like to, to stay with you for a little bit more, uh, Valerie. So So that moment, mom has passed and you were telling me about the plan she had for her funeral and then it obviously broke your heart that you couldn't do that for her.
10: Yeah,
11: we were there as a family and we were just numbed and shocked and what do we do and how do we make our wishes as much as we can when you couldn't have the people shoulder her that she wanted to shoulder her because of the virus. You couldn't have that. They couldn't be at the funeral. They couldn't. We had anything. It was just us. Couldn't even leave her grandchildren into the church. The hardest part, like, we brought mum home to her family home. No, we didn't bring her in home. It was just the morning of the funeral. O'Connor's drove up to the terrace where she lived. Yes. And I have to commend all the neighbours that came out and stood at their garden gates and gave her that guard of honour going out that door, out the street. It, I'll never forget them for that. It was wonderful. I thought it was very personal and it was very comforting. And we walked behind her then, the five of us, plus all her grandchildren, gave her a guard of honour and we walked to the church because that's all we could do. But to get to the church door and turn around and tell our own children that they couldn't come in, that they went back to their cars and turned down the videos, I thought it was one of the hardest things to do, to stop at the church door and turn around and say to your own sons or daughters, her grandchildren and her great-grandchildren, I'm sorry, this is as far as you can go. It was horrendous. Horrendous. And that was a very hard part of the funeral as well, that you're inside on your own. And people that should be her own children, her own family, sister-in-laws, everybody that should be with her could not be with her. Could not give her the sender, And we're not the only family out there, PJ, that has gone through this. And it's only people that have lost someone through COVID or sudden death. Mm-hmm. All these things that went on through the COVID, people died suddenly as well. They couldn't give their loved ones the funeral they deserved either. Yeah. And it has been a very lonely time for people. And it's only families and people that have gone through this time will understand what I'm talking about. If I, you know, because when it didn't affect us we didn't understand either you've got to walk in somebody's shoes to understand what they're going through
3: I got the impression from reading the echo Val that you feel bad about it
11: I do, I feel very lonely about it, I feel that sometimes we might have left her down but I know that she'd look back and said don't be so stupid, she did her best she did what she could do so, we, you know, we were with her all the way right through as much as we could. But you ever just get the feeling in the back of your head that there's something unfinished? So now that the churches have reopened, I'm holding her month's mind mask back until I time that i children. Now, they can go in at this stage. We're up to 50. But I'm only after surgery myself. So I'm I'm kind of hopping around the place at the <laughs> moment. and You know, so I just want to be in a better headspace. Before we do the month's mind and before we all that we can get together and honour her the way she should have been honored. In our in our in our view. Nobody this, else's view, in our
3: view. This is still very raw for you and I, I really very, appreciate very, you. Very I appreciate it's you spending raw. so much time with me, Valerie. And like I you said,
11: I'm not telling people whether they should get the vaccine or whether they shouldn't. Whether they believe in it or whether they don't believe in it. They're your opinions. But this is our story. As a family, we went through it and we're trying to come out the other side. And I will never forget this word coronavirus as long as as I live. People will move on and it will probably be forgotten. But anyone that has been through it will never forget it. It will haunt us for the rest of our lives. And that's what it is. It's part of us now.
3: And does it make it even harder God, if you it quote, does. does it make it even harder that she was halfway to immunity?
11: It does because we, as I said, we thought like, you know, we're halfway there and we're going to kind of go back to the way it was because she'll get fully vaccinated. And then we were saying, right, if she's fully vaccinated, they're going to open up the homes. So we need to get vaccinated. That was our next step then. We need to get vaccinated so we can get in. So we're not going to bring it in because our fear always when you're going to the homes or you're visiting anyone that you're going to bring it in, even though you mightn't have it or you might know you have it. It was always your fear as well. So the light was that she's covered and we can get back in because I was saying to myself, well, as soon as she's vaccinated now and as soon as I can, I'm going to get it done so I can get in. And all my brothers and sister were the same we're going to get vaccinated so we can get back in. We weren't worried about anyone else getting vaccinated. We were going to do it. Yeah. So we could get back in. Yeah. Yeah. That's what we wanted. We wanted to be with it. I know people are saying they're old. It made no difference whether they're 86, 96 or 106. It makes no difference. You want to be with your parents. They're old, but that doesn't mean that they're forgotten or that they should die or they should be left there. They're still part of someone's life. They're still someone's mother. They're still someone's father, brother, or sister, and it makes no difference. Age makes no difference. But uh, you know, it's it's just tough, and, and I, I find some days very hard to deal with, and other sure. days fine.
3: As and I guess as you watch now, millions of people getting vaccinated and things starting to to open up and go back to normal. Nor you'll never see normal again.
11: No, we won't, because it'll always be there. It'll always be there when we're standing at her grave. You're just going to, coronavirus is going to be in your head. The virus took her, even though I know now people say she was old and everything. But she wasn't sick. She was never sick a day in her life, which was just amazing. Like, even we like, you were talking to yourself and saying, look, i never suffered her chest, though. She never had breathing problems, so maybe even if she got it, she'd be okay. This virus just didn't decide aside who was going to get it and who was going to be okay. You're just lucky that you didn't get it or someone belonged to you didn't get it.
3: Finally, I think, Valerie, you want to put it out there to people look, this is what my family has been through. Yes. Please be careful.
11: Be careful. Just be careful and try and get yourself fully vaccinated and then you can maybe relax a bit. Until I think until we get through another 12 months, I will be more relaxed about it. Like, you know, I'm fully vaccinated myself. Most of my family are fully vaccinated. We're nearly all there. So we might be able to get together now properly again because we're nearly all done. We're nearly all done. So we're all beginning to relax that bit more that we can actually be in each other's company now and maybe give mom her final goodbye. Well,
3: you know. If she's listening up there in that big coffee table in the sky, sitting and having her morning coffee, listening mm-hmm. to her daughter, one thing she'll be is she'll be damn proud of you.
11: Thank you. It's had to be a, a rough couple of months, but we're getting there. All right. Slowly but surely. All right. Just slowly. And thank you, PJ. There's a
3: lovely message that a, a friend of mine taught me one time. It's got nothing to do with religion or nothing to do with faith or anything like that. It's just mm-hmm. a. A lovely message that I want to share with you. The great maker knew her name and smiled on her.
11: Yes, yes. That's nice, that's nice. But just, you know, just be careful. Just be careful out there, that's all you can say. And stay safe. That's all you want people to do is stay safe because I don't want any other of my family to come in or friends of mine to say they've got it and they're struggling and they're gone. Do you know?
3: Valerie, look after yourself. All right, also take care. Now. See you.
10: Bye
11: Thank bye, you. bye.
3: Thank you. That's Valerie O'Connor, and thanks to Sarah Horgan in the aircor for her assistance with that, and uh, and to Fergal for chatting with uh, Valerie this morning just to reassure her about uh, going on the air because she was very very nervous. But in the end, she told her story in a way that you couldn't. You could read a hundred articles, you could listen to a hundred programmes, you could watch a hundred documentaries. Uh, but nothing beats be told 185715996 some reactions to Val and I'll read them in a little while, but I want to catch up with Moneen Griffith, who is CEO of Belong to Youth Services. It's about an article in today's Irish Times, which said that the COVID-19 pandemic has posed a greater risk to the mental health of marginalized groups, especially LGBT plus young people. This is new research just out. Moneen, good morning to you. Good morning. What were your findings?
12: Well, this is a, the second time we've run this piece of research this time um, we ran at the same time last year over the, the end of April, beginning of May. Uh, we had a huge response rate over two thousand LGBT young people from across Ireland uh, responded. Um, and really the paint, picture they painted is that we're not out of the woods yet in terms of um, the, lonely, the, the impact of loneliness and, um, and isolation and being away from the usual support services that LGBT young people would have uh, because of lockdown. So the knock-on effect it has, LGBT young people already are at a higher risk of uh, mental health issues, not because they're LGBT, but because of bullying, because of stigma, um, because of family rejection. So the poor, the poor on top of that um, lockdown and not being able to see your friends, not being able to access... Um, your youth groups and that uh, it, it, we've just seen a, a real surge and, and a huge number of young people get in contact with us but also with LGBT youth groups all over Ireland for, for one-to-one support um, because they're feeling that loneliness that isolation, separation from or lack of connection with people who have similar experiences and lives to them
3: Because I suppose it's very stressful anyway for, for young people Um
12: Absolutely look Covid's been hard the last year's been hard for everyone and for young people I think more than you know us oldies when you know when your pals and and connection with your peers is so so important uh, not just for fun but for your actual mental health and well-being and your your physical well-being and all that. Mm. Um, but poor on top of that then, I suppose, being LGBT, maybe being in a home that isn't supportive yes. of your gender identity or sexual orientation. Or, or, or struggling
3: or, struggling with, with your own sexual identity. Yeah, you're
12: struggling I, with it. You're yeah. not ready to come out yet, so you're kind of censoring yourself. You're being careful about what language you use. And what, we, what we've heard on the front line from young people and what came up in this research as well is that young people then feel an obligation; they have to start coming out to parents before they've really figured it out themselves in their head. So, in in you know before COVID, young people might, you know, twelve was the most common age for a young person to realise that they might be LGBT, but they mightn't come out to somebody else for another four years. So they have that kind of mm-hmm. lead-in time to really figure things out for themselves. And is this still COVID the case, Marine? Briefly, I,
3: I know you've got to go to another interview, but is it is it still the the case that sometimes uh, home can be the hardest place to come out
12: yeah i mean look over 50% of young people said that they were living in homes that weren't accepting of their um, their sexual orientation or gender identity and i suppose the stakes are higher because if if somebody in your home doesn't accept you that fear, the fear of rejection is is much b- bigger than maybe just somebody on on your football club which yeah. is you know, pretty scary, but but at least you don't have to see them every day. You yeah, you you're can walk
3: away from that, but you can't yeah. walk away from your home. Money, I leave it there because I know you're under pressure. I just wanted to touch upon that survey. Thank you very much. That's Money and Griffith, CEO of Belong to Youth Services. You get more information from their website, which is capital B for B, capital L for Long, capital T for To. dot org. Uh, that is their website. Eighteen fifty seven one five nine nine six. Right. Uh, if you'd like to win a smart speaker with free speaker frenzy, well, we've loads of them to give away. Uh, right now, I have another one. So just text in whatever you want to say. Just tell me you want to win a speaker. Just text or WhatsApp your name, details, to 083 396 96, 96. Do that now, and then we'll call somebody back. And you have to have the phrase that pays. You have to have... The magic phrase. And I'm not going to give it to you now. We're giving it to you all day. So off you go. 083 396 96 96.
10: Can we just
3: talk? The
0: opinion line on Cork's 96 FM.
1: With Dairy Made Premium Spread, 100% natural and made in Cork using West Cork Cream. KCN Ross in the morning. Weekdays 6 to 9
0: a.m.
3: on
1: Cork's 96.
3: A woman is going viral. She got herself a personal trainer. He was talking to her about, listen, what we're doing is a 12-week program. Take some photographs of you and your knick Yeah, so that you got befores and afters, so yeah. that you can judge your progress. So she takes a load of pictures of herself and her knickers. She just met your man that day, the personal trainer. She sent them all to him on yeah. his WhatsApp. He was yeah. like, no, 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 these are for you. I no, <laughs> like, no, no. no. Someone's these... looking for a discount. <laughs> <laughs> Casey and Ross in the morning with No DCRs
1: Blackpool for Skoda in the City, a long-standing tradition in Cork. Open 24-7
3: at MillDC.com. Cork's 96FL Harping back to the big story of the weekend and the uh, collapse of Christian Ericsson at that uh, European Championship match and Euros and look he's fine he's chatting, he's joking, he's messaging his friends, he's taking hospital visitors he's going to be grand and he just now wants to find out what happened to him. But for 20 or 10 or 15 terrifying minutes on Saturday night. The whole world was wondering, what is happening to this young man? What is the story? There's that, there's the the controversy over whether the television pictures should have stayed with it or not, or whatever. But another question. His life was saved at the end of it all by a defibrillator. And it's brought on a much bigger question of, would you know what to do with one? Would you know how to use a defibrillator? They're, They're hanging up on street corners and Brilliant to have them there. But would you know what to do? Would you know where your nearest defibrillator was? If someone collapsed in your building or in your workplace or on your building site, would you know what to do? Would you know how to start CPR? And it's a whole topic of conversation that's set to grow legs. Gerard D is National Community Engagement Manager with the National Ambulance Service. Jer, good morning to you.
5: Good morning PJ, how it's are
3: you? good, it's thrust that whole discussion into the limelight would, would you know where your nearest defib is and would you know what to do with it?
5: Yeah PJ, it's always a question we're asked um, or I suppose in fact we ask people really is you know those very questions would they know where it is and what to do and I suppose... In Cork, we're quite fortunate in that the Lions Club, as you as you spoke about in the past, there have you know 13 defibrillators um, around the city and out in Blackpool, um, and, and in fact the 14th one going into St Luke's um, shortly. Um, and even if you didn't know where those locations were, uh, PJ, once you ring 999 and our emergency call takers um, identify that somebody is in cardiac arrest and needs the use of a defibrillator they'll be able to tell you where your nearest one is, provided that that defibrillator has been registered mm. with ourselves. And they'll be able to give you a list of the, the closest ones to you. Um, they'll also be able to give you the access code to the box, if the box is locked. Mm. Um, and, uh, you know, somebody can be sent to go to, to retrieve that defibrillator while other people are doing immediate CPR yeah. on the patient. And, and-, and
3: there's a the thing, Ger, going to get the defibrillator, but the starting CPR, how many of us would know what to do, what where to put the hands and what to do? How many of us would know?
5: Uh, yeah, PJ, and again, it's a very valid question that that, that people do ask and, and they do say to us a quite a lot that what if we do it wrong? What if, you know, we're not trained? So it's suppose the big message to get out there to everybody is um, any CPR is better than no CPR so start to start with. Um, you know, being trained, finding you a, a, a cert and a piece of paper, and in 12 months' time, will you remember what to do? So again, when you ring 99 and and the call takers identify a cardiac arrest, they'll actually talk you through exactly what to do. Yes. And they'll tell you to, you know, to lie to the person on a hard, flat surface, put your hands in the centre of the chest, push hard and fast. They'll even call out the beats with you while you're doing it. They'll stay on the line the whole time. Um, until somebody comes back with with a defibrillator. Mm. And and the thing is, once that defibrillator is turned on, it takes over, it will tell you what to do. Yes. It will, you know, there is no fear. There's a voice in it,
3: isn't there? It'll tell you what button to press and whatever, yeah.
5: It will go through absolutely everything, PJ, and there is no chance whatsoever that that machine will shock somebody who does not need to be shocked. So to take away any fear whatsoever, they're extremely safe. And, and they, they sense they
3: sense the situation, and they sense that the machine is programmed to sense whether it's needed to shock or not. I think we've had a few p- calls in Cork recently. And we wouldn't want to identify anyone there, but we've had a few calls recently where people came to someone else's aid just like that.
5: We do, PJ, and, and I suppose there's one I just touch on just lightly, which is which did do the wrongs on social media, and that was where a Garda retrieved the um, defibrillator from the back of pennies. Um, and they did um, get a successful resuscitation and the man was taken to hospital. But I suppose in what I'd call more, you know, in very exciting news now, is that, if you remember, I spoke to Fiona um, a few weeks back um, about cardiac arrest of 15-year-old Connell McAuliffe up in St Paul's school in Cork. Yes, yes, I remember. And I suppose where where it's exciting news to, to give the outcome of that is that the staff on the day, they started immediate CPR, they got the school defibrillator, they gave shock, you know, the ambulance service arrived, you know, did all the stuff that we do, including bringing, um, you know, critical care doctors to the car park of the school. And, you know, I was up there yesterday morning and it was great to see Connell, you know, getting out of the minibus and going ah, back to
3: school. That's brilliant.
5: So, you know, that kind of stuff, the hairs are standing on the back of ah. the arms. As I'm speaking, obviously I'm quite passionate about it. Right. That's, 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 that's
3: that's a life That's a life saved by something as crucial as a defibrillator and some CPR. Ger- I'm going to go and leave it there, but thank you very much. We will speak about this again, I promise, because it's going to become an even bigger topic of conversation as we go through. Gerald D, National Community Engagement Manager with the National Ambulance Service. I have to do this before the news. Cork's
0: 96 FM's free speaker frenzy.
1: With Blackpool fully opened up. It's great to be back. See blackpool.ie. Do you want it?
10: I never felt this good.
3: I'm heading to East Cork. Laura Noonan is in Middleton. Hey, Laura. Hi, PD. How are you doing? Good. Now you texted in and we have to ask you, what are the magic words?
6: 96
3: You are our latest winner on free speaker frenzy, Laura. Congratulations, okay. well done. I'll put you back on to Terry there to get more details. Thank you, Laura.
0: The lines are live. And we're ready to talk. Can we just talk? Call 1850
1: 715 996.
0: Text or WhatsApp 083 396 96 96.
1: Email opinion at 96FM.ie.
0: The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan
1: on Cork's 96FM
3: Not unconnected to the conversation with Jer O. D. there before the news uh, caller was on to say I left CUH yesterday I wasn't feeling well to say the least it was about half eleven I got pains in my chest couldn't breathe and I was struggling a lovely girl stopped and began to help me and then three other girls stopped I'm sure they were doctors or nurses because they seemed to know an awful lot about heart emergencies. They ran to the chemist, got an aspirin, and called an ambulance. The ambulance came with a heart technician. I was so lucky that they stopped to help me. You don't know what would happen. Everything was a blur. I can't remember their names, but please thank them for me. I am so grateful. Thank you for that. I'm glad you're okay. 185715996, the number, and on. Defibrillators in general Anne Buckley from Farrenry Hello Queen of Farrenry Haven't heard from you in a while Uh, They had one in Farrenry But it was vandalised seven times She doesn't think it's there anymore now Could PJ ever follow up these great stories By saying that people need to stop Attacking them It could be yourself or your loved ones Next, oh I tell you something There is a special place in hell For any kind of a Scroat that does even uh, even a morsel of damage to those defibrillators. I would, if I was the Minister for Justice and had the power to do it, for damaging a defibrillator, I'd jail you for 10 years. Yes, I would, there and then, 10 years. That is it is the most despicable thing you can do. It is the most inexplicable, inexcusable. And I don't care how many hand-wringing social workers or barristers would stand up and defend your broken childhood or your problematic background if you've broken a defibrillator. Oh, no. Oh, no. No, no forgiveness for them, for that shower. And you're so right. Tony says there's one in the old telephone box near the banking cove. A lot of people don't know about it. There's a few of them around. There's one outside uh, as you go to Carrig There, the new estate, Janeville, that big new estate on the left. As you go in. There's a telephone box there. It's got defibrillator. A lot of, uh, and it's been great to see some of the telephone boxes around have been repurposed as defibrillators. And as Jerry said, when you call the ambulance and you tell them where you are, they'll know where your nearest defibrillator is. They'll tell you exactly what to do with regard CPR while someone goes to get it or you can get it. They'll tell you exactly what to do. They'll tell you exactly how to switch it on. They'll tell you exactly how to get it out of the holder. And then it will do everything. These are wonderful machines. Wonderful, wonderful machines saving lives. 1850, 715996. On Val's story, and I thought Val would be with me for maybe 10 minutes, and she was with me for the bones of the hour because she just tells her, her late mum's story in such a poignant way. Uh, I'm in floods here, says this message from Ger. Uh, I'm in floods here. Jesus, what a strong girl. I actually have a tuck in my heart trying to work from home, but I can't see the screen. What are you trying to do to me? There's a great old cork expression. A tuck in my heart. Haven't heard that for a while. couple more messages like that. Kevin said that one of the most difficult calls he's listened to in years she has amazing strength to hold it together. She has. She has. That's one thing for sure. On um, the vaccines, can you please give us some information, PJ, with regard to Johnson and Johnson? That's only one dose. So does that mean people who've got that vaccine are at risk? That's from a worried caller. Do you know? I have. We have to look. Do something on this. Fergal, Fergal is our key research guru when it comes to all these vaccinations and stuff. We, we try and get some stats on Johnson and Johnson and resistance to things like. Delta, they're out there. You can be sure they're out there. The one people are saying everything else is two shots, and Johnson Johnson's just one shot. Uh, so let's let's just find out where where it stands as a vaccine. It's A perfectly good vaccine. People are raving about it. You know, it's a perfectly good vaccine, and they're giving out thousands of doses of it now in the pharmacies. But yeah, let's check up its its efficacy against things like like Delta and stuff like that. Also, the Independent are. Reporting today that people who got Astrazeneca as their first vaccine will not receive another type of vaccine for their second shot, which goes against what people like Sam McConkey and others have been saying. Uh, I think who Anthony Staines said the same the other day. There are one or two other people in the in the medical field who are saying, "Look, for goodness' sake, it's now not only is it safe, but it's very effective to give someone a second dose." of something else on top of their first AstraZeneca. And maybe we could start doing that. But for the moment, anyway, no sign of it. No sign of it. Uh, also, there are cars now queuing to get into the vaccine centre at Parkey Cueve. I've got a photograph. 1850 Loads of people wanting to talk to us about many things today, and that is a great complaint to have now there's a new survey out which was carried out among about 450 odd families in February and March of this year. And all those families have someone in it who's on the ASD, on the autistic spectrum. And that survey pretty much confirms everything that we have been told by countless listeners and families on this program over the last number of years and that is that there are major barriers to services for both autistic children and teenagers it's the every child counts survey carried out by the national autism charity as i am i'm joined by their deputy ceo fiona ferris hi fiona
13: hello Fiona. how are you great to link in with you
3: Good to speak with you. Um, This was quite an intense survey carried out across the months of February and March. And like I said, a lot of your findings we're hearing here on the programme for a number of years. It shows big holes in the system, doesn't it?
13: It does, absolutely. And like you said, it's just confirmed and put into, it's quantified really what we were already acutely aware of. Um, and I mean, at a time when everybody is, is experiencing massive delays in getting health care, all, all COVID really has done is exacerbated a situation that already existed so this isn't you know a covid specific issue it's just it's it's happened that it's magnified an issue that was already there um, but the the results of the the survey and the report that was generated and um, really are they're staggering and um, some of the results that we got back in terms of how families are receiving support how long they've been waiting for support Um, and the fact that many are actually not in receipt of any support. So about 80% of families who responded said that their child isn't getting any support from an early intervention team or a school-age team. Um, So that in itself is just shocking.
3: Two-thirds, this this for me is the one that jumps off the page, two-thirds of parents and guardians who surveyed have had to wait two years or more to get a diagnosis.
7: Yes, that's
13: correct. And we we know ourselves, of course, that early intervention is absolutely crucial whenever it comes to supporting a child's learning needs, their life skills, getting them, you know, the, the appropriate school place. So, you know, two years, and that's at least two years. Some people are having to wait much, much longer. Mm-hmm. That's very precious time that's lost in terms of support um, and accommodation that a child requires at that stage.
3: And I'm uh, correct in saying, Fiona, and I'm thinking back to when my own boy was diagnosed, and that's that's 20 years ago now. The situation back then was that you couldn't get any kind of services until you had a formal diagnosis. Is that the situation still?
13: Well, uh, I suppose there are a couple of different routes and um, many parents at the moment are feeling the need to go privately for a diagnosis because of the lists that are in place. But what many parents are also having to do is pay privately for the likes of occupational therapy, speech and language therapy. So those things can be accessed without a diagnosis, but at the expense of the parents, like that's coming straight out of the parents' pocket and what we are seeing there on top of that is that parents are experiencing massive financial pressure and um, so they're having to assume full-time caring roles for their children and uh, reporting as well, that this came out in the report also, that the existing social welfare payments are totally insufficient to cover the costs of this therapy, that they should be able to access Uh, The adequate support through the public health system. So it's not just the diagnosis here uh, that's the barrier, it's the access to the services uh, that come afterwards. Mm. And whether you've received a diagnosis or not, the majority of parents are still having to pay privately for these.
3: Now, this wasn't a a COVID specific based survey, but it did throw something else up, didn't it? That they said that uh, 40% of people said that their or felt that their children had lost key skills due to the effects of lockdown and stuff
13: yes and that's that's absolutely true that's something that we have experienced in as i am through the the support queries and people reaching out to the to our community support team the demand for our support has increased by 280 percent during the time of the pandemic but what we also need to remember is that the majority of autistic children receive all of their supports in a school setting due to the difficulty in accessing services. So for any child for example who attends a special school that's where they would get the majority of their therapeutic supports. So they weren't just losing a school place or their educational, uh, not having their educational needs met, but a lot of their therapeutic, their, their social skills, their life skills, their interaction, like all of that was lost as well during the pandemic. But like you said this isn't a COVID specific issue it's just massively highlighted an issue that already existed for many families in our community.
3: Now you have some recommendations on foot of what you've found Fiona?
13: We do of course and uh, we have a lot of recommendations and the majority of it comes down to investment at the end of the day, something we've been lobbying for for a long time and we're delighted that uh, Minister of Disability Anne Rabbit has committed to an autism action plan Uh, this year, an autism empowerment strategy. um, Sorry, what we're advocating for on top of that is a HSE autism action plan, uh, which will involve investment. We're saying that the Department of Health needs to invest 5 million in this action plan, um, which is really about looking at a whole of government approach, a more cohesive and collaborative approach uh, to provide services for children and their families. But the HSE also needs to identify and address the accessibility barriers um, both long-term and those that have arisen as a result of COVID. Mm. They also need to be looking more formally at a process for analysing and collecting data in relation to autism diagnosis um, so that services can be appropriately allocated as a result of the the rising needs Mm. uh, of society.
3: One of the things that we've observed from taking calls from people over the years, and I guess in my own circle and the other parents that I know, one of the things that seems to frighten the HSE, frighten the life of the HSE, is that autism is so different that no two people are the same. And that tends to, to frighten the HSE a lot.
13: And I think a lot of that comes from lack of understanding as well, and that's right across society, and I'm sure you'd agree with that, is that sometimes we fear what we don't understand. Yes. But I don't think we need to be looking at it as an autism specific kind of issue. We need to be looking at it as an individualised issue. What individual supports does this child or person need in order to meet their full potential. So obviously an autism diagnosis in most cases is required access supports but beyond that we really just need to be looking at the person. What are their needs? You know, what therapeutic supports do they need? What healthcare supports do they need? Um, uh, You know, arising from how they are as a person and what their strengths and differences are. So I can understand, you know, perhaps seeing the word autism and thinking well how, how do I support that or exactly what supports are required for that because every autistic person is so different but we just need to be looking at the person as an individual and looking at what supports they need as a result of that.
3: Okay and we definitely need more as you say in the report and you say in the recommendations, we need more caseworkers to work that early intervention system
13: We absolutely do and we've also included in our our report there as well and um, that we need some investment some investment significant investment from the Department of Children Equality Disability Integration, and, and Youth and um, so that we we have advised that hundred million is required in terms of investment for TUSLA services and programs um, and also uh, joining in with the Children's Rights Alliance for similar levels of investment the safeguard against vulnerable children so what we have obviously reported on is autism specific but we also know that these are issues that are affecting vulnerable children or children with disabilities all across Irish society and um, so linking in with some of the other disability charities Down Syndrome Ireland, Inclusion Ireland they're reporting quite similar levels um, of delays and inaccessibility.
3: Okay Fiona thank you for being with us on the opinion line. that is Fiona Ferris the Deputy CEO of As I Am. I had the pleasure, uh, thanks Fiona, I had the pleasure of speaking at a conference one time in the UL in Limerick about uh, autism and education and having... Two kids having twins, and my daughter went down the traditional route, as it were, and my, my son were still, we were battling with him for years. I was speaking at that conference. It was organised, actually, I think, by Leonie Reade, and I was speaking at that conference, and I met uh, Fiona Ferris there. I'm very impressed by her. Very impressed by her, indeed. 1850 seven one five nine nine six. Barry says, I've got my second appointment, vaccination appointment for this coming Friday. At the Aviva Oh God I phoned the helpline And told him I live and work in Cork Still waiting for a comeback (laughs) That's a bit daft By all accounts That helpline that comes in the text message If you ring them with a problem They will do their level best To sort it out for you But that's a crazy one He got called for his second appointment To the Aviva in Dublin (laughs) like you've got parke quieve and the city hall but they called him to go to the aviva in dublin also do you remember last week someone sent me a picture i'm not going to use the name someone sent me a picture of their vaccination card and it was a pfizer vaccine and they'd had their first one in uh the in in may and according to the card the second appointment was for August and Pfizer is supposed to be four weeks and I, spish, I said that looks like the second appointment might have been mis miswritten. Might have been written in the American format, you know, where the eighth the of June we would write it as O eight oh six whereas the Americans would write it as O six O eight. So she got the card and she thought oh six oh eight well that's the eighth of that's the sixth of August uh-uh, the person had written it in the wrong format and it was a way to escape. But when she rang back and gave them her details, they sorted it. So call that number when you get it with your vaccination text. 1850
0: Can we just talk? The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM.
1: With dairy-made premium spread, 100% natural, and made in Cork using West Cork Cream.
0: Cork's 96FM's free speaker frenzy is happening here.
1: Play Cork's 96FM. A
0: We've got loads of cool new smart speakers to give away every day.
1: Join Casey and Ross in the morning and stay with us all day long for your chance to Win. Win. When...
0: Listen for the cue to text or WhatsApp. If we call you back, repeat the phrase... Play
1: Quartz 96 FM. ...to
0: win a smart speaker. you want it? I, want it. I never felt
1: this sky.
0: Quartz 96 FM's free speaker frenzy.
1: With Blackpool fully opened up, it's great to be back. See blackpool.ie. Hello? Hello?
0: Stay listening to win and remember to say...
1: Play Quartz 96 FM.
3: This particular rescue... Happened last week, but we wanted to catch up um, with uh, Jim Grennan from Kinsale RNLI about it. This was the rescue of a kite surfer in British Bay or near British Bay in County Wicklow by a boat that was taking part in the Dunlaira to Dingle race. Uh, Jim, good morning to you.
14: Good morning, PJ. How are you doing?
3: Good. What happened? This was a boat from the Kinsale Yacht Club as well, wasn't it?
14: That's right, yeah. Um, myself and the um, crew of the boat, um, so I've been sailing on Freya for a few years, and um, so we were taking part in the um, first of the year, so we were quite excited to be getting out in the water eventually. Um, so, yeah, we were in part of the race from the Dun to Dingle yacht race, um, so there were 38 to 40 boats involved. Um, and, yeah, so we set off from Dunleary at 2 o'clock, 2 p.m., on Wednesday afternoon and um uh, yeah set, set off out for um for on the way to on the way to Bengal. and um, so it was quite a fresh breeze at the start in the start. um so um, and it was a beat all the way down the east coast in actually lovely conditions, sunshine and lovely breeze for sailing and mm. um, so later on that evening um it was, it was around after eight o'clock i think. So we were, we were, you know, around British Bay area, and we'd been kind of tatt- doing a lot of sailing, obviously tacking in and out of the bays with a you know, fantastic navigator on board. So we were, we were doing quite well and getting ahead of the fleet, and we were, so we were loving the sailing, um, knowing that actually the night ahead was going to be quite, quite windy and miserable and all that. And mm. um, so we were, yeah, sure, we were having a great time sailing and doing well, and kind of looking back at the fleet behind us. And, you know, um, enjoying ourselves.
3: You were to be the lead, weren't you?
14: Yeah, we were. We were ahead uh, We were head on the water, and you know, doing doing well with the boats, and we got the boat going. You know, going well. Everyone was 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 in good form on board, and nice conditions. And so, actually, actually I, I was off watch. We, we started our watch system for for the race ahead, and I was off watch. so I was actually lying lying in the bunk trying to get a bit a of, bit of rest before the night um and heard some chatter up on deck. So one of the one of the crew who was who was on, on watch on the on the rail spotted um something out to sea and he wasn't even that, that close. Like I think he you know, he strained his eyes or whatever and, and spotted a kite or something um, a bit out to sea. Mm. So he advised the crew And they changed course. They said, look, we'll go over and have a look. You know, it was, it was uh, slightly away from where we were going, I think, but we, um, you know, changed course just to check it out as
10: you, as you
14: do. Um, and it turned out to be, um, it turned out to be a guy attached to the kite in the water, um, when we got to it. So by the time I came on deck, we were kind of close to him and, um, um, yeah, so then we, we kind of kicked into training. It was. We we done safety briefings before we left and all that, and talked about man overboard or whatever. So we mm. kind of went straight into a man overboard um, rescue. Right. Um,
3: okay, so yeah. And how was he? Was he all right?
14: Um, yeah, like he was. He wasn't. He was uh, okay. Yeah, he 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 was better than uh, you know we thought when we got him on board. Um, he uh, He he'd been in the water for a while. Mm. Of course, I suppose he he was quite a fit, strong man, to be honest, so um, he hadn't been in the water, um, obviously, long enough to get severe hypothermia, but he was in the water long enough to be, you know, a bit fatigued. Um, Because
3: we forget, don't we, Jim, that even though we've had some lovely weather in the last week and a half or so, that water around our coast is still quite cold.
14: Ah, yeah, absolutely. I think, um, you know, friends have been talking about the the water temperatures have been low, and... this time of the year, for uh, lower than normal, um, yeah. And as far as luck, he, he was, he was, um, you know, quite a bit from shore. And um, I, I think we, we spotted him out of luck, really, because you know, um, the sun was behind us, and you've got a better view of the of the water when the sun's behind you. So you know that that was in our favour. So that's kind of part of the reason we, we spotted him. Yeah, And, um, you know, if we'd if we been in any other position, we wouldn't have seen him. Yeah. The wind, the wind was blowing him offshore and the tide was taking him away from where he'd come from as well.
3: Now, you'd be an experienced yeah. light man yourself, Jim, so you knew exactly what to do. So you, you kind of found yourself on, on a shout without being necessarily on a shout.
14: Yeah, that's right. Yeah, I was kind of joking with the lad on the station, you know, to put my number down in the, in the station for another shout. But, look, to be honest, I was only part of one of the... Very experienced crew on board Freya. Um, the, the lads on, on, on the boat are, you know, exceptional sailors, exceptional seamen. And, um, you know, so, look, I didn't... The, the lifeboat training didn't really need to kick in too much, to be honest. There was, um, you know, I was with a, an exceptional crew. And um, so we just, you know, just, it's all,
3: it's all kind of natural. Yeah. Now you also you you would have in in doing this, and I, I imagine it was the furthest thing from your mind at the time. But in 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 doing this, you you sacrificed your your place at the head of the race. But that no one has ever been able to explain to me how these things are scored, Jim. But you actually managed to get your place back, did you? Yeah. Well,
14: look, the intricacies of the um, the um, the the system is, is quite complicated. I suppose. But, at the end of the day, yeah, we stopped our race for a, for an hour, over an hour. And um, um, so we um, recorded everything we did. And we had a fantastic navigator on board who was able to kind of record everything that happened. And then at the end of the race, um, we applied for redress. And so the position we finished in then was they they, they done a lot of calculations and there was a lot of adjudication. So yeah, a lot of experienced people got their heads together and figured out what what, what potential um, losses we we would have (laughs) made on the course, and they they um, so they bumped they 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 gave us a redress, and um, we we ended up finishing um, second overall. Excellent. And so we were we were delighted with the race anyway. You know we had a fantastic race, and I suppose look after so long. Not being able to enjoy our sport, it was, um, you know, I think everyone that took part in the race really enjoyed it. It was, it was a very physical tough race. It was upwind, and um, so it was. It didn't. It wasn't, uh, um, you know, easy by any means. Mm. So, but everyone that, that, that uh, took part um, really enjoyed it, um, and true. Yeah, we're totally chuffed to do so well.
3: Yeah, and 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 uh, to save save a life in, in the in the process, it just adds to all. Jim, thank you very much, Jim Grennan from Kinsale R N L I, who was on board the Freya that carried out that rescue of a kite surfer off the coast of County Wicklow. It happened about a week ago, but we just wanted to catch up with with Jim. Um, he says that the lifeboat training never even had to kick in, but I think when you have a an experienced lifeboat man on board your vessel, it's going to it's going to help whether they admit it or not. You know, they really are. Wonderful people. Yep. I, I'm gonna do that to the point of annoying people this summer because it's so important. We must never, ever, ever forget the lifeboat people. And everyone trained in lifeboat rescue. Sea, anyway, as we move on, where am I going? I had so- oh yeah, it was the sailing thing. I remember watching the Olympic sailing or the Paralympic sailing. Actually, watching it with uh, the great John Toomey down in the Oatley and sail one time, and we we're just chatting about it, and he, he made an attempt. God bless him this man is a legend he, he made an attempt because I was showing an interest to explain how they score it and he might as well have been talking to the ditch for, for all I could take in. it's incredibly complicated as, as some people say it's, it's only the umpires who know how it's scored but well done to Jim and all of the crew of the Freya 185715996 can we
0: just talk? The Opinion Line on Cork's 96 FM.
1: With Dairy Made Premium Spread, 100% natural and made in Cork using West Cork Cream. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Text or WhatsApp now 083 396 96 96. On Cork's
0: 96 FM.
3: Jerry sent us pictures of the queues of cars trying to get into the vaccination center at Parky Quive. Uh, He also said he was talking to a a chap down there who said there have been huge numbers of people being called for their vaccines yesterday and today. Just saying there to Terry off air, It, it sounds as if there is a major push on to get ahead of and stay ahead of this Delta because we don't want to end up. We're supposed to have our next major move. Our next major move is the 5th of July. That's when indoor dining and... A few more restrictions like that meant to be lifted on the 5th of July. We do not want to have to pause that. And there's a few weeks between now and then to get as many jabs as possible into as many arms as possible. And when you think about it, the 19th of July is when international travel is supposed to resume. So let's let's hope that we can get tens and thousands and hundreds of thousands of jabs into thousands of arms between now and then. So we don't have to do what Boris had to do yesterday and put it all on hold. Eighteen fifty seven one five nine nine six. Reading from today's examiner, uh, Cork County Council Chief Executive Tim Lucy, this is Sean Reardon writing in the examiner, says he's not willing to put his personnel at risk by asking them to issue litter fines to groups of youths who are regularly dumping waste at public parks and beaches. He was making the comments after a number of county councillors had expressed their concerns, one of them being Finnefalls Seamus McGrath. Seamus, good morning. Good morning, PJ. It is a problem. We've talked here Monday after Monday about the state of the place at, at the weekends, and I can understand why uh, people wanted fines handed out, but uh, the, the the GPA isn't so sure about it.
15: Yeah, so PJ, I suppose just to explain, Councillor Audrey Buckley and I had a motion at the council meeting yesterday asking for a proper litter enforcement plan for the summer. Um, we know we're supposed to have an outdoor summer. We're encouraging people to get out and enjoy amenities and we have great amenities and, you know, that's all positive. But unfortunately, there is a dark side, and that is these areas destroyed with litter when you have good weather weekends, such as we had this weekend. And we've all seen the images on social media and so on. This isn't just a Cork problem, obviously, it's across the country. I saw an article about Achille Island as well um, after the weekend. So it's a widespread issue, but the motion we specifically had was looking for a litter enforcement plan and part and parcel of that was that we wanted a presence from litter wardens at weekends. The simple truth of the matter is litter wardens do not work weekends. They're not on duty. Um, and that to us is a major problem because most of the littering takes place over weekends and you know we need to face up to this issue and we need to put a plan in place. The chief executive did raise the issue about safety, and look, it's a legitimate issue, and none of us want to put people in in danger or, or put, you know, in carrying out their duties that they'd be put into an unsafe environment. But what I suggested, and what Councillor Buckley suggested, is that they would collaborate with the Gardaí on this issue. Um, you know, to be fair, the Gardaí had a strong presence this weekend in many of the areas, um, but you know, their primary function isn't to do with litter necessarily. They have a whole host of other issues to do with parking, road safety, anti-social behaviour, and so on. But if if litter wardens were there in some capacity accompanied by Gardy, then I think this issue could we, we could make some progress on this issue as a council yeah. we, we make huge efforts uh, in picking up litter in working with volunteers with tidy towns groups but it's a recurring problem it happens it's, it's, it's unfortunate, as it's predictable as mm. night follows day when you have a good weather weekend our amenities not just beaches parks etc are strewn with litter mm. and you know this, I mean, it's, it's a regular occurrence and we just have to be imaginative. We have to come up with ways to deal with it. And we put a lot of effort into awareness campaigns, working with schools, trying to get the message across. But unfortunately, PJ, there is a, a minority out there. Th- mm. Those awareness campaigns, they don't reach. They don't get the message across to them. And, and the enforcement ha- has to be part and parcel of our response to this, in my view.
3: So I kind of understand where Tim Lucy is coming from because... Uh, can you imagine a lone litter warden on a sunny afternoon, surrounded by a gang of teenagers, trying to force them to pick up litter? A couple of them, some of them might have had a few drinks on board, or, or stronger. Yeah, and and that that's it very intimidating circumstance in which defines yourself to say the least. I,
15: I absolutely agree and I, I completely understand that point and, and we're not asking for that um, and that's why we did say in our motion there needs to be a multi agency approach here there needs to be collaboration no one is asking for an individual on their own to go down approaching large groups that, that simply wouldn't be feasible or practical but we have to work together as, as agencies on this and there has to be cooperation um, and the key, the key agency we're referring to would be on garda on in this instance um and, and that's that's where we were coming from. Right now there is no presence at the weekends, and that just isn't good enough when the littering takes place, by yeah. and large, over those days. Um, and, and we feel, you know, enforcement is non-existent on those days. We have, to, we have to be able to respond to this as a local authority. And what about the
3: collection of bins? How often at the weekend, for example, now, another weekend, whether there was this weekend coming, looks like being a bit of a washout, but take the weekend just gone, which was a scorcher. Like, how often were bins collected and emptied?
15: Yeah, so part of the response we got was in relation to the amount of effort the council actually put in to to empty bins and it is done over the course of the weekends and the council workers are on duty to be fair, doing that. Um, And look, I suppose, when you have hundreds of people descending on a beach, unfortunately, there aren't always enough bin, bins, empty bins available. Um, but I really do think, PJ, when we start talking about bins, and, and I know you're not doing it, but it, it is almost excusing this behaviour. Um, and we can't... Oh,
3: no, I'm the biggest advocate in the world for bring your own junk yeah, home. Yeah, exactly. Absolutely.
15: Like, you know, this, this notion that does get repeated out there. Personally, I believe bins are, bins are part of the solution. We need to provide bins to a certain extent. But if a bin is full... That is no excuse for leaving rubbish on the ground, uh, and and like there just really is no excuse for that type of behaviour. And it is a minority; it isn't everybody. Hundreds of people attend these amenities when you when you have a good weather, uh, but all it takes is a few dozen to leave their rubbish after them and it is such a widespread issue it's coming to us as county councillors on a regular basis it isn't just the Haven area I see Ring of Skitty, Tidy Towns for example put up images as well they collected 15 large bags of rubbish from, from Luck Beach you probably know it it's a lovely little gem in Ring of Skitty. I do um, and that's just another example of what they had to deal with the burden of this falls on volunteers to a large extent. The council workers do their best, but they can't be everywhere. They can't clean everything. And the burden of this falls on local community volunteers who have to go out picking up this rubbish. Um, and it simply isn't acceptable that that continues. Um, so we have to do our best. We have to we have to try and come up with different approaches to address this issue. Um, and unfortunately, enforcement has to be part of that plan.
3: Okay. All right. leave it there for today. Seamus, thanks very much. Councillor Seamus McGrath of Fiendefall, himself and Audrey Berkeley had that motion at County Council. You can see where Tim Lucy's coming from. The last thing you want is a warden down on Fountainstown or Myrtleville or any one of them on a sunny Sunday afternoon and a bunch of teenagers there have just had one of those disposable barbecues and they've left a pile of cans around it and the barbecue steaming and this misfortune little warden is, warden is trying to take the, well take that away now or there'll be fines Do you know that's the problem you don't like if they're surrounded by like that would be an awful position in which to find yourself but something has to be done you could get you could get ridiculous and ask for a few soldiers and I couldn't see them telling a soldier to F off then again 185715996. But well, then again, it is up to the local authority to keep the place clean. Do you know? Um, it's fine to have lovely murals and artwork around town and around the county, and all these lovely things, but it's also the job to keep the place clean. Eighteen fifty-seven one five nine nine six. Once I mentioned this, I was in contact over the last twenty-four hours or so with Nick Foster. You will remember Nick was on the show with me there a week or two ago. He has written the book *Murder at Roaring Water* about the murder of Sophie Toscan du and I read the book twice now because I read it before I interviewed him. And there's a kind of a technique when you read a book before you interview someone. You could go through the whole book in seven or eight hours, and you get a very, very good handle of what's inside, but and that will that will suffice with most books but over the last few days i picked it up again and i read it again i read it slowly and in more depth and i contacted nick last night because i said i think i've spotted the clue he he says there's a clue in it and I, i i think i've spotted the clue and i i I messaged him on Twitter and I said I think I've spotted the clue and I told him what I thought it was and he came back to me and he said it's great to hear from you, thanks for your kind comment. I know you're a very careful reader but I don't think even you will spot the clue. The main thing is if that Sophie's actual killer reads the book it'll jump out of the page to them. I mentioned that because the Sky documentary Uh, which is called Murder at the Cottage, put together by the legend that is uh, Jim Sheridan. That goes to air this Sunday. It all drops, five, five or six episodes drop on Sky Crime on this Sunday. And I've got a couple of episodes, I've been sent a couple of preview episodes to have a look at. But that book ties in with this documentary. So, it, it, some very, very exciting stuff coming with regard to the, the murder of Sophie Tuscan and Plantier. And of course, the Netflix documentary drops at the end of June. Uh, Lister and Ballin Temple says there is pandemonium with people queuing up to arrive for vaccines down at Parky Creeve at the moment, which is like there's a big final down there at, at, at the park. That seems to have ramped up big time in the last 24, 48 hours. Then, with regard to being called to Dublin, I got a first appointment for UCD. I entered my details that I was living in Cork. I then rang the helpline. It was a disaster. I couldn't hear or understand them because the line was so bad. And she said, so you won't keep your first appointment in Dublin? She says, I know, I live in Cork and I'd have to get injections, she told me, to ring back again. I did and I got it sorted. That number that comes, when you get a, a text to your phone with the details of your appointment, there's a number with it. And from what I'm hearing, they're quite helpful when you call that number. Although that particular listener now didn't have such a, a good experience, at least not the first time. Eugene, I got my second one yesterday in the City Hall. Congrats to all in there. I was in and out with no delay. Super service, says Eugene. And there was actually a documentary. I only caught up with it last night. I had recorded it. It's on the the RTU player. It's called V-Day. It's about the vaccine rollout. It's a very, very nicely and tenderly made documentary. Some lovely people interviewed in it. Um, But it's it's just a, a picture of how this is going. And you know what? We might pick up on holes in it and places where they slip up. But for the most part, most of the time this vaccination program is going really, really well. It's getting faster and faster, and it's getting more and more thorough. And you have to take your hat off to the people in the centres doing the work, organising the appointments, getting people in, getting the needles into their arms. You have to particularly thank our defence our defence forces who have lent their considerable logistical skills to this. And, you know, if we just hold out for a few weeks more... We'll be fine. We will. Quick one before we go. Beautiful video filmed right along the Wild Atlantic Way with the Joan Denise Moriarty School of Dance. Had a look at it this morning. A most soothing way to start the day. Sharon Manning, good morning.
2: Good morning, PJ.
3: It was a lovely watch, that little video. Where would the idea come from?
2: Um, it was just a crazy idea I came up with. Um, we were took part in Kunoon and Oak um, as part of uh, Cork City Council, an event that happened on Saturday. So then we had um, outdoor classes for the month of May and then we started recording in June. So we wanted to come up with something different because we did a fabulous video there for Patrick's Day and it got over 250,000 views. So mm-hmm. we said, let's challenge ourselves and do something different. So we approached the parents and our parents are really fabulous parents who were willing to travel to different points along the way and show the kids are up for anything. but the parents then are the ones that have to bring the kids to all the classes and mm. so we said we would go mad and we would try the wide atlantic we had the 15 signature points Fabulous. and we did a few points in between as well
3: and how was it filmed who filmed it because it's really good my work. daughter
2: really? my daughter Karina yeah wow. on her iPhone 12 now some of it was recorded by drone photography
10: yeah.
2: uh, with a drone and then Larry Commons from the echo he also recorded a little bit of it but she recorded on her iPhone Pro Max twelve, and then she actually edited the whole thing on her phone. What? So, she did, yeah. I do not believe it. Yeah, and she choreographed it all as well.
3: I'm going to so. go back and watch it again. So, so th- <laughs> I watched it this morning. and thought, it was all done on a phone.
2: On a phone? Would you believe that? Yeah, she's done all her previous videos because we've done a lot of videos just to keep the kids entertained huh? during lockdown and to try and keep them busy. And they've all been really engaging with us. So, yeah. So she's done it all on her phone. How old she's is she? Talented. Twenty.
3: Frank crikey, tell you something. Yes. That's the future, isn't it? Well, Sharon, thank I think we're either we're, we're sharing it or we're going to share it because it's a most oh, soothing look. It's a most soothing watch. It yes. really and is we lovely. we were
2: lucky. We got beautiful weather. You did? We all the,
3: places. Haunt with yeah. the weather. Haunt <laughs> Haunt with it. the weather. All right, listen, It's it's great. And well done to everyone at the Joan Denise Moriarty School of Dance along the Wild Atlantic Way filmed on a phone. Okay, some drone footage in there, but filmed and edited and put together on a phone. Crikey Mikey. Before we go we just had this update. Uh, June Connolly and her partner Tony were on the show back in April. They were talking to Fiona about My Canine Companion they were raising some funds from My Canine Companion this is the charity for therapy dogs uh, June and Tony's 11 year old son has autism and he's non-verbal that's their son uh, James they have raised over €12,300 well done to you marvellous picture, and two most gorgeous dogs. Oh, we call them dogs in our house. We call them Big Harry's. It would take me too long to explain why, but we call them Big Harry's. Two gorgeous dogs. Oh, my God. We're weak for the dogs. Right, that's it. Busy one today. The programme edited by Terry Brennan, produced and researched by Fergal Barry, and we shall see you tomorrow, just after nine.
6: Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things.